This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Happy, happy Friday to you. You made it another week. Oh, oh, oh aren't you proud? Really? Life is good. So... We're, we're going to give you a great uh, show, but also um, a great launch to your weekend. Three hours of the Matt Townsend Show. One of those hours will include Jeffrey Liam Simpson and his show, Screen Cleaning. And you're really excited because it's just an extra hour for you to go out walking in the freezing <laughs> cold, take that nap, that take daily nap. nap. Yeah, I'm going to uh, do my stretches. I'm doing a lot now. Yeah, I'm excited. It's Friday. Day off. <sighs> Not really. It's just a regular day. And we got a great show. We are going to be talking about taxes um, because nothing nothing says Friday launch better than a tax plan. Wrong. Okay. That was even Donald Trump. And he's the one that created the tax plan. So we will be speaking with somebody about uh, the, the plan itself. Is it a good idea? What's going on? Are we going to be in debt because of these taxes and the, the change in the tax uh, uh, or the proposed change in the tax plan? We'll be getting to all of that fun. Interesting. Uh, if you go back to the headlines, it, it seems like the same old headlines. More people accused of sexual offenses uh, in Congress and some are leaving. Uh, but maybe more importantly and more real to most of us, that just something that's looming is the, are the California fires, six large fires now. Um, scorched 141,000 acres. And if you want crazy video, go watch those fire videos. It's unbelievable what's going on. And the animals, in fact, on Instagram today, uh, I saw them saying, hey, you may, if you're in the California area, you may have stray animals w- working their way through your backyard. They're asking to leave buckets of water out so they have something to drink as they run by. Isn't that – I mean you could have a mountain lion just migrating through your yard because its neighborhood just got burned down. And there are some horses that are that are being killed as well uh, by these fires. Bring your – they say bring your animals in and leave water out and then just let them pass. Don't mess with them. And do not say, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Yeah, not a good thing. So again, California, um, boy, this has been a long, long year for California. How many fires, I mean, how many homes were burned in the last fire up in uh, Northern California? Yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable. I just feel bad. So that's going on. Donald Trump Jr. is now on the, the, chop, the chopping block because of some emails and uh, somebody apparently offered him WikiLeaks documents. Oh, whoops. Every time. Darn WikiLeaks. But didn't Donald Trump once say, hey, I, I love what they're doing? Yeah, multiple times. Yeah. You just – you probably ought not ever, you know, throw your weight behind WikiLeaks. You don't have to hate them publicly, but you ought not probably praise them because just yep. as quickly as you're praised, you could fall. Yeah, there's a line of just don't get involved in that. Stay yeah. above that. Let yeah. that just happen. Because there's always like the attack ad. You're like, well, that's not me. That's, that's not this me. other that's right. super PAC. Yeah. They may support me, but I don't, I'm don't. i not telling them what to do. You need to have that sort of relationship with WikiLeaks. Exactly. And don't get up and ask the Russians to hack Hillary Clinton's server and find all the missing email. Well, especially stuff if like you're that. meeting with them. Well, yeah. Well. I mean, if you're meeting with them. <laughs> or, you know, people that work for you. Yeah. Yeah, because he, yeah. 
He's above that. So um, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Again, more of the same, quite honestly, plus even more fallout from Al Franken. And he yesterday had his statement. Uh, it was in the end of our last hour, so yeah. we weren't able to talk much about it. Many are complaining about the statement. Not a great apology. Threw a little – cast a little uh, a little shade on President Trump. And quite, Roy Moore. Quite, and Roy Moore. Quite a bit. I mean yeah. in that situation, you apologize and walk away. Yeah. You don't apologize, point fingers at everybody else and walk away. Well, he wasn't apologizing because he also went on to say that uh, he's confident that the hearings would have gone in his favor. Like they wouldn't have been able to come up with any evidence. But 32 Democrats were like, you got to go. You got to go. 32 of the 40, whatever. That is awkward. There's criticism from that because they're saying that that was simply done because of this moment rather than – this magic if, moment. If it was if it was another time, they wouldn't have used it because oh, right. Democrats want to be on the side of this is bad, but they can't do that and support yeah. someone who's been accused of things. They uh-huh. can't point no. fingers at Roy Moore if Franken and, is still sitting here. Well, and it may have set them up for a really uh, strong position in 2018 to start demanding more information about President Trump's mm-hmm. abuses, alleged abuses, and they're going to have a, a, the moral high ground, they believe, because they ejected one of their senior leaders for such behavior. But and, what are the Republicans doing? And just the reaction on both sides of that's one, an honorable thing to do, and yeah. another thing, it's just manipulative. You're yeah. not doing it for the right reasons. You're, and yeah, you're throwing... You're just doing it for politics. You're throwing him under the bus, Yeah. <laughs> So somebody so, gets a, a nice, cushy 10-month job without even having to run. Oh, that poor person. <laughs> and then they have to run in 10 months. Mm-hmm. And if they win, they have to then work there. <laughs> That's horrible. Work in the Senate. Hmm. No one wants that job. I think the lesson we've learned here is just don't ever take pictures with anybody anytime, yeah. ever. Or just do it with your hands totally visible. Just put your hands up yeah. in the air like how this. Do you, how do you it's take weird. a picture or selfie with somebody without getting close? Well, right? the problem That's what is, they want. And there's, uh, I mean, you know that. Well, Not everyone not, wants a picture with no, you. No, but they don't. But, they, but it's, there's a weird moment. Do you thumbs up? Because like yesterday I did an event and there were a lot of women that were there and then we took a lot of pictures. And it's they're excited, and you're it's fun because they're they like you, and they're excited, and you're excited, and it's easy to just everyone holds each other close. But yeah, you just I don't know, you just have to remember we're all children of God, <laughs> and we don't. The last touch accuser anyone. of uh, Al Franken says he put his hand on her waist and then squeezed. That was the that was the last incidental thing. touching was the waist and a squeeze as they got together yeah. for a selfie. No, you I know thought what? it was her bottom that he put his no, hand on. That was on. another one. That was okay. another Somebody else. But two or three. I've just kind of found <laughs> I've just kind of found that you can just it's shoulder is a really good thing. If you put it around the shoulder and then yeah. you just hold their shoulder. And when you go for the shoulder, swing wide, swing way, way wide, wide, way wide. There you go. But don't mess their hair up. Just fold your but arms. That's the. Th- but then you look. Yeah, then, then you, you look, look defensive. Sometimes I've put my hands. Unless you glare. Yeah, sometimes I put my hands in front of me, but then it looks like, I don't know, like Kung Fu Montgomery pandas. Burns. So yeah. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello. So, but the reality is, is this shouldn't be a problem if our motives are clean and, and you know, we intend to not right. <laughs> grope somebody. I just mean, groping's the, a pretty intentional act, right? So. Just do two Fonzie hands. That's what You'll you be thumbs fine. Thumbs up. <laughs> like President Trump. Hey. Thumbs up. Hey, Fonzie. 
Anyway, uh, that ends the segment for how to take a non-groping picture. (laughs) A how-to guide soon to follow. Again, something I never thought we'd have to teach on the show. We've got uh, got a lot of other things to cover, but let's get to the headlines with Terry. What else should we be paying attention, Terry? Six fires burning across several counties in Southern California. State Office of Emergency uh, Services sent out its largest ever text alert to 12 million residents on Wednesday night, warning them of strong winds that could create extreme fire danger. The alert was a response to criticism received in the wake of wildfires that swept through Northern California in October, killing at least 44. Residents there said they wish they had received an alert that there was a fire in their neighborhood, especially those who were asleep when the fire started. That, oh that, that incident started around 3 a.m., and so they how do you have it. yeah how do you and, alert and it, everybody and it started right next to a neighborhood so it was hard to and it flared up super you know so in a quick manner whereas these they've had time it was the middle of the yeah. day and so they sent out this text but twelve million people got a text at the same time ah uh, in the middle of the night I guess if you live in L A you probably ought to be checking the news all day right. The LA Times uh, pulled down their uh, firewall, well, not their firewall, their paywall. Don't say firewall. Yeah, I know. They pulled down their paywall so people could access the uh, the news without having to worry about. Oh, that's you cool. Already hit your five limit for the oh, month good. or whatever. So that they took that away. A lot of times you don't even have to watch the news though because you can hear the helicopters uh, going yeah. over your house. Constantly. That's a rule, right? If you if you see a helicopter dropping water, and you see it from your house. Go, go visit Grandma. I'd probably get in the car. Go somewhere else. <laughs> the National Republican Senatorial Committee will stand firm in not endorsing Roy Moore's candidacy. Its chairman, Senator Cory Gardner, a Republican of Colorado, said Thursday. Despite President Trump and the Republican National Committees uh, both throwing their support behind Moore, the Alabama Republican facing multiple accusations of sexual misconduct, Gardner told the Weekly Standard, Roy Moore will never have the support of the senatorial committee. We will never endorse him. We won't support him. I won't let that happen. Nothing will change. Less than a month ago, Gardner was among the first Republican lawmakers to declare that he would vote to expel Moore if Alabamians ex- elect him to the U.S. Senate. Other reports show that that sentiment may be waning. Maybe most of the Republicans in the Senate just won't do anything if he gets elected. Oh, it would. I, I think it will be a bad 2018 because then how do you? Yeah, he's sitting next to you in the Senate. Yeah, that's and, and you didn't you didn't say anything. Well, think of just your own senator. So you're going to go to your Republican senator and say, "You're okay." Yeah, Roy, we needed that vote. Or yeah. are you going to question your senator? My mm. senator is actually on both sides of the issue. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. great thing. <laughs> you can great. cover. <laughs> My senator has no stand on anything. It's like, good job. The House Ethics Committee on Thursday said it had found no evidence of wrongdoing in the part of Representative Devin Nunez of California, the House Intelligence Committee chairman, whom it had been investigating for alleged mishandling of classified information. In a statement, the committee said that though the assistance. Uh, or through the assistance of the intelligence community, it was determined that the information Nunez divulged was not classified. The probe was closed on Thursday. If you remember, Mr. Nunez, yes, he was the guy that uh, went to the White House to, uh, as, as the chairman of the intelligence committee in the House, went to the White House and briefed White House personnel right, on what they right, were doing right. while they were investigating people in the White House. Oh, yeah. And then there was a, a mystery trip in an Uber uh-huh. He's riding with a staffer. He gets a text, and then all of a sudden, they stop at a at a traffic light. He opens the door and just runs out the door. And the staffer's like, "What's going on?" And then the next day, he shows up and then says that 
that the uh, the if, information they had on the Trump administration was actually caught during the campaign, and the FBI maybe had wiretaps on them and those sort of allegations. But all that stuff ended up being classified, so that's why they had to have this hearing oh, to yeah. clear them or find out what yeah. they're wrongdoing. Yeah. But it's this idea that you had a sitting member of the House who was using Ubers to do clandestine meetings on at the White House. About, you know, it was just kind of a crazy <laughs> story that was back in March. Yeah. So, yeah, he's good. No problem. It's all good. Uh, previously undisclosed emails suggesting there were, may have been a follow-up after the infamous Trump Tower meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and a Russian lawyer. CNN reported Thursday, British publicist Rob Goldstone, who arranged the initial 2016 meeting, sent several emails discussing the meeting to senior Trump aide Dan Scavino. He does the social media for our president. He um, Let's see. One email encouraged Scavino to give Trump information about the Russian social networking site VK and said that Don and Paul are good with the idea. That'd be Don Jr. and yeah. Paul Manafort. There. So there's more emails after the meeting uh, that they said nothing no, came there, of there it. Was, there, there, yeah. yeah, there was no follow-up, but apparently there, there was some that, follow-up. That Russian social media website, VK, actually offered, hey, Trump campaign, if you want to have a presence on our social media site, people in Russia would love to hear from the future President Trump. All press is good press, so even if like, it's Russian press. What's going on? So all this kind of stuff's wow. coming out as they keep looking into emails and... They're talking to Donald Jr. At the, on the on Capitol Hill, and he's you know, citing what what. Uh, are you tired of winning yet? Remember, there's so much winning <laughs> happening. <laughs> I'm so exhausted from all the winning. Finally, five firefighters spent an hour working to release a YouTube prankster who had cemented his head inside a microwave oven. Oh, hmm? oh boy! So, a 22 year old and a group of his friends mixed seven bags of polyfilla. I don't know what polyfilla is, so I looked it up. It's spackling paste. Oh, So, like, you know, man. the stuff that you have a hole in the wall, you put yeah. a little yeah, a little spackling paste before pouring it around his head, which was protected by a plastic bag inside the microwave. Apparently, the microwave was being used as a mold. Okay. That shape <sighs> it of the microwave. It in. wasn't plugged in. But they put it on his head, and then it became stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Don't the firefighters have enough to handle right now? Oh, this is empty a guy's head from a microwave. Just make him wait. This was, I believe, in the UK this happened. But by the time emergency services were called at 1.49 in the afternoon on Wednesday <laughs> to the garage of this guy's house, the group had already been trying to free him for 90 minutes. The friends had managed to help the man breathe through an air tube. Oh, that was good of him. Oh, that's good. The watch commander uh, in charge of the fire service crew who responded said, as funny as it sounds, this young man could quite easily have suffocated or have been seriously injured. Taking the microwave apart was tricky because a lot of it was welded together, so they had to try to, I don't know. Unbelievable. They should have just plugged it in and, you know, turned it to the popcorn setting or something. Oh, yeah, that would pop something. (laughs) That would pop him out. I guess that's the thing. The YouTubers have to one-up each other. So somebody thought, hey, I'm going to cement my head in a microwave. (laughs) That'll get me ratings. Well, he wanted to be a blockhead. Nailed it. And he was just going to happen. See? Look at that. Did Terry just pull out a funny? It was good. Terry just made a joke. That, uh, I wonder what it'll be next. Why don't we do more exciting things like that on our social media? Well, you just posted a picture, a hand-drawn picture of me. Yeah. That was completely inaccurate. Where did that, that go? Somebody clearly did not like, so they threw away. It wasn't me. Well, our, I'll stu- say that. our studio is a shared space. 
So there's other people. Well, with, you can't have art. In the Julie studio? Rose probably <laughs> didn't want that staring at her in the face. She's probably, what is that? Took it down. I should have. I, I should have just put your name on it. I'm calling it. I'm, I'm saying it was her. It's all right. I have preserved it on Twitter. Yeah, it's all there for for all to see for eternity. <sighs> for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, boy, we need to create a really fun social media. You know, stunt. Hmm. Um, one that involves maybe Jeff. I would say Jeff. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that feels feels right. Go do. Isn't this, this something we usually you know make Palakiko do? Yeah, but I think I think people would rather see your head in a microwave. Hmm. There's one in the kitchen. But let's let's use let's put it in a Jello mold. Oh, there we go. Well, I would just eat my way out. <laughs> You're like licking your way out of your Jello mold. Um, what uh, What do you think? Like, uh, how do I? How do we go here? In the kindest, gentlest way. Um, do you think people are tired of and and yes? Okay, that's it. In short, yes. I have a sense that the country is depressed. Yeah. They're tired. So I think they're tired, but they can't stop watching. Yeah. Just people are well informed on everything. They really are. It's like trying to soldier through a good Netflix show. You know, you know you should be going to bed. Yeah. And but you're you like, don't. And you're mad but, because oh, I shouldn't have ever started this. It was a seven year series. I don't even like it that much. When yeah. I was a kid, this this happened to people the first uh Desert Storm. Yeah. In Iraq, yeah, right? Fatigue, it's on yeah. TV. It was the first real televised war mm-hmm. where it was on twenty four hours, and people just couldn't not could not stop watching. Right? You know, you got was it General Schwarzkopf was the guy, and he's standing oh, there in a room, amazing. pointing at video, watching you know like smart bombs yeah. take out buildings. You just couldn't stop no. watching that. It was amazing. We're now going to show you a smart bomb. You will see it uh, fly two thousand miles, and then it will penetrate through the bathroom window. <laughs> just like wow, of a terrorist. That was cool. But and I blow mean, up in his shower. This isn't anything good to watch. No. In that case, it was war. In this case, it's just train wrecks. Know. And it doesn't even it, politics is one thing. But then it's it's kind of the hashtag Me Too movement mm-hmm. is another thing. All the natural disasters. All the natural disasters. Then uh, it's what's his name, the father of the basketball player in sports. LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball is exhausting like, my father, the basketball my world. My father knows who that guy is. Oh, does he? He's like, he starts talking Even about him dad. yesterday. I look NASCAR over and I go, dad. how do you know him? He goes, he was on the news. He keeps talking. And I'm like, oh, it's ridiculous. It's And it never ends. And then... Then you just look at the headlines and Bitcoin plunges to $2,500. Did it? It plunges $2,500 in less than four hours. But yeah. nobody even knows what Bitcoin is no. or understands it. But they're saying but they're – somehow they're making and losing money overnight. You're gonna be, uh, actual Wall Street traders next week, I believe, are going to have an opportunity to actually bet on futures on yeah. Bitcoin, right? Yeah. And, and they're saying that you know the people that have it now are like – just people who are really novice at financial dealings and they're yeah. doing because they're interested in the technology of it all. But when they actually get Wall Street traders come in, it's like the lions coming into the sheep pen, you know, uh, that kind of situation. So it should be interesting to watch people lose all their money in a week. And no, yeah, nobody understands it enough no. to play that game, I don't think. But it keeps going up until today. Yeah, dropped 2500 bucks. But it was up, what, like $200,000 a Bitcoin yeah, or something? it was insane. Um so somehow we have to fix that, and uh, 
the goal of this show is going to somehow be to elevate life and that conversation because I can't keep doing this. I mean, the good news about this weekend is The Crown uh, on Netflix is out the second second season. It's true. So, there's so now some we hope. can watch somebody else's uh, government at work. <laughs> there's some hope there, but Christmas is coming, and maybe we can set ourselves up for a reset. So just know you can come to the Matt Townsend Show. We'll find a way to to put a little life in it, hopefully a little uh, fun, a little humor, and hopefully also um, some real information, some skills to help you uh, navigate through it all. Up next, we'll be talking about the impact of the tax cuts and the job Jobs Acts that have been coming out of uh, Congress and the White House. Interesting insights straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, in a Quinnipiac poll, uh, only 29% of Americans approve of the GOP tax plan. I mean, those are some pretty bad numbers, right? For considering the fact that uh, this is this was a tax bill that had to get out as quickly as we could because the people were demanding it so much. Only 29% of Americans approve of the plan. So this morning we have uh, the president, um, we have a, a guest joining us to talk about uh, uh, this the recent um, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the plan um, put forward by the GOP. And uh, joining us will be um, Ryan Alexander, Miss Ryan Alexander, who is the president of the Taxpayers for Common Sense, which is a um, an organization that is a, a budget watchdog and trying to promote fiscal responsibility and the opposition of wasteful tax and spending policies. Uh, Miss Ryan Alexander, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. What it's such an interesting thing. People want. Uh, you know, a break on their taxes. And yet, um, for some reason, uh, right now, 29% approval rating of this current tax plan. What can you tell us about the current plan? And, uh, and, And a lot of the fears have been about the fact that it's going to add to the deficit. Where, where do you stand on that? Uh, We, you know, we think it's time to go back to the drawing board. I mean, we support major tax reform. We think there should be a a reduction in the corporate rate, but this bill isn't the way to do it. It adds, you know, at least a trillion and more likely more than $1.5 trillion to the deficit over 10 years. And this is a terrible time to do that. You know, we have, we're almost at full employment, although there's lots of weaknesses in the economy, economy and, and we are already on a trajectory to have a really significant debt and deficit growth in this decade because of simple demographics, the increase in cost of health care and retirement. So we don't want to crowd out other investments with increased interest costs um, at a time when we're, you know, albeit a slow recovery, we, we are in a, you know, a, a long period of recovery. It's, it's not the time to do this. Is, is there a, um, because it seems like country by country, um, as far as a lot of the, the, um, the countries go, we're not paying overly high taxes, are we, compared to the rest of the world? No, we, we, we don't. Um, we're not one of the most highly taxed countries, developed countries in the world at all. We're kind of right squarely um, 
on target. We have our corporate rate is higher than other countries, and that's one of the reasons why we think it's a good reason to take it down. But at the same time, the percentage of revenues we get from corporate tax is a lot lower than it used to be because the tax codes become so riddled with special interest breaks. And one of the things that we think is most problematic about this bill is that while they, you know, for the last five years, we heard a lot about eliminating the breaks and cutting the rate, and that's how you'd pay for cutting the rate, but they didn't eliminate the breaks. The vast majority of individual tax expenditures are left untouched, and they just reduced the rate on top of that. Mm. Is it uh, one of the claims of the GOP is saying that this is going to bring a lot of that money that's out of the country back home? Is that then not true? Well, I think there's a couple things that are true. Definitely by saying bring your bring your money back and we'll give you a reduced rate what to bring it back. That that will certainly bring some money back. That's that's kind of one-time money. That, yeah. that and well, it's great to get that one-time money. That is something that you got to think about as not necessarily something that is going to help us long-term fiscally. We have to solve the international tax problem. It's definitely tricky. The overall approach of this bill has some, you know, has some things to be said for it. It's not, I wouldn't say that I would never go with a territorial system. That said, you have to be really hard-nosed about the revenue um, because I think that, you know, we we know that this system will definitely get an influx, influx of cash in the front, but then will likely have reduced revenues because there's still going to be reasons to go overseas for some for some companies. It's, you know, it's a global marketplace right now. If your costs are labor and you can get cheaper labor overseas, you might do that. If you're, um, you know, there's going to be changing dynamics that will still give countries, uh, still give companies reasons to either stay or go. Um, reducing our corporate tax rate, again, a good idea, but you got to do it and understand what it's going to do to the bottom line. Does it overall do anything for the middle class? That's one of the things we keep hearing is how the middle class has been forgotten for many years. And is is this bill going to – is it really just for the rich as we hear in some of the the language out there? Is it really only kind of business-focused or are the middle class going to benefit? Uh the majority of the benefits go to business owners and upper income folks, but that doesn't mean that all the benefits do. Um, you know, in the in the short term, um, lots of middle class co- co- folks would get a tax cut. Some middle class folks would get an immediately tax increase. But one of the things about the Senate bill that's kind of so cynical is that none of the corporate breaks expire, but all of the individual breaks expire. Hmm in uh, 2025. So if nothing was done, then in 2026, most people in the middle class would pay more than they would under current law. And, you know, that's A, not what anybody likes. And B, you know, it also is just an indication that they expect to be able to do another tax bill, because it's always hard to, you know, say, oh, now you are going to. Yeah, you're going to lower our, you're going to take away our taxes. Right. Um, And uh, and that means that it's an even more expensive bill, and so the, the deficit increase would be even more than 1.5 trillion. And that's you know that's the kind of thing where like tax policy is all about trade-offs. It's all about making hard decisions. And this bill, they didn't make those hard decisions that would help figure out how to pay for it and make sure that you know everybody understands why they made the trade-offs that they did. Uh, as uh, as the president of Taxpayers for Common Sense, you've been at this 11 years, I guess, as president. I mean. Can you have real bipartisan tax policy? Have you have you seen it? Have you seen a good example of where Congress, the Senate, has been able to get together with a president and sign some really powerful tax policy together? Um, I think 
there are, uh, I think it's possible for there to be bipartisan work. No question. It is a huge uphill battle now. In the years I've been in Washington, it's gotten more difficult, particularly, um, well, in the Senate in some ways and in the House in other ways. But I do think that you know, it's still possible. There are other areas of policy where people have been able to work across the aisle. We've seen that even though they can't come to agreement, all of the conversations about immigration reform are bipartisan conversations. Mm -hmm. There are people on both sides of that aisle. That's also true in agriculture policy, which is, you know, a very expensive and complicated area of policy that those, you know, the reform efforts are always bipartisan. So there are areas where when you really sit down and talk to members of Congress and senators and find out kind of what their most important priority is. And they can, you know, talk to each other about where their differences are. They can come to some agreement. They can, you know, it might not be that they can immediately come to an agreement on an overall tax reform, because that might be a bridge too far to start with. But you could start by doing a couple of things that would really um, make a difference. You could you know, take some of the international taxation issues. There's one change. You could end a practice called deferral, and that would, you know, that without doing the whole um, big tax reform that's needed, it would make it much harder for countries to, uh, companies to put money overseas. So that would be, you know, a step in the right direction. Um, I do, I also think there just, there definitely has to be a will. I think that people need to, um, voters need to, tell their representatives that one of the things they want to see is that they're, they want to see them try to work with the other side. Um, you know, one thing I always, um, because we work with, you know, we work with members of Congress across the whole political spectrum. Um, and, you know, I always say when I speak in public that, you know, whatever news channel you watch every night, every night watch the opposite. For Ooh, that's minutes. right. Yeah, rotate. I'm just saying. And if you want to, if you're thinking that some politician is the worst thing you've ever heard of, imagine <laughs> if your favorite person in public life did the actions of that person. Would you still totally think it's the worst thing or right. would you forgive it? We have to start thinking a little more empathetically, you know, yeah. should be hard-nosed about policy, but we need to remember that we're all Americans and we've got to work together. No, that's a, that is just basically, that's awesome advice. In fact, last night I... I haven't watched. I won't watch the the cable shows anymore. Right. They're too exhausting for me. Yep. So I, but I I watched both of them. Uh, two of the main headliners last night, and I, I thought I had seen completely. I, I think I had really seen the full picture of yeah. both sides, completely different positions and views, and yet um, they both had the exact same amount of energy and. Uh, you know, seeming yep. hatred towards each other. It yep. was yep. it was so uh, interesting to me. What do you think, too, about how the Republicans, for example, are pushing this through? I don't know all the rules and the laws that they're there or the order that they're trying to follow. But a 50 vote uh, bill versus a 60 person vote bill. And um, because they're pushing it through on the 50, they're just all they need to do is get the Republicans on board. Um, Does it work better if we if we demand a higher standard like 60 votes? Uh, I think in this case it does. I am. You know, what they're using is a a process called um, budget reconciliation, which ironically was designed to protect um, against huge deficit increases. Hmm. Um, But within those rules, you can pass it with, you know, 50 votes plus one. And um, but the rules of the Senate require that there be no increase to the deficit out of the 10 year budget window. And that's why we see this bill that is just full of gimmicks. So the timing tricks, there are you know, there are things like the opening up of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for drilling, which might be a good idea, but... In the tax you know, bill? Um, it's in the tax bill as a revenue raiser. Huh. 
and it's got very, just like the growth projections are very sunny, the, per, the projections for revenue from that, that step are very sunny. So they are looking for ways to make it look like it's going to spend less money. And if they took the time and tried to, you know, figure out how to get 60 votes, I think we'd have a better bill. Yeah. And there'd be a lot fewer people, you know, left out of the process. This is a, this is a bill that affects every single American, and we should not have it just be decided by 50 votes. In 1986, when we last did major tax reform, the final Senate package passed by 97 to 3. Oh, wow. And, you know, Reagan was president. There was yeah. Plenty of, you know, there's a lot of division then, too. That's pretty. I mean, again, that's worth working for. Um, is one of the things, I guess, going back to Reagan was this whole concept of trickle-down economics. And now everybody's afraid that we're reliving this trickle-down idea because this is the idea is we're going to bring in so much wealth uh, from businesses and other things that it's going to create more jobs. But we've also heard a lot of the business people saying, oh, no, no, if we get that money back in the country, we're just we're investing in our we're buying back our own stock. We're going to just invest in our company, not necessarily make jobs. Is Has trickle down economics been proven valid or is there a real fear that this would increase the deficit instead of paying it out? Um, I definitely think there's a real fear that the deficit increase projections are real. I think the the questions about kind of what's going to make a company hire more people and raise their wages are, you know, they're not just questions of cash flow. They're questions of the labor market, of the demand for their their products. If you live in a if you live in a region where there are lots and lots of people with the same skills you have, it's still going to be hard to get a job. Mm. If you have a very you know very highly sought after set of skills, you're still going to be get to, you're still going to get to be paid more. Um, and you know companies who get money back in the country or have you know have a lower tax liability because of this bill. They're not going to say, "Great, I definitely can sell more product right away." If they haven't seen the demand for their product, they're going to they're going to do stock buybacks, you know, distribute it as dividends, and watch the market. Um, sure, uh, there is the possibility, given where we are in the economy, there, there'll definitely be some companies that say, "Great, I have more cash, I can do something about this," and and hire that extra person. So we will see some effects, but I just don't think. You know, it would be a mistake to say there'll be no economic growth right. as a result of tax cuts. It's just that I don't think there's any chance it will be as dramatic as um, the proponents of the bill are saying it will be and that it'll pay for itself. The- what do the rest of us do? I mean, what I, I think is admirable admirable about what you're doing um, is the fact that you get you go into Congress, you talk uh, in some of their committee, you're, some of their committee meetings, you testify before them. What do the rest of us do? And and any ideas or suggestions for just the average Joe who wants to start to influence somehow their their congressional leaders, their senatorial leaders, what can I do? Well, I think it's always a good idea to um, show up at the meetings in the district, in the state, when people come home. I, you can call and write your member of Congress. They They really do count and read the things that come in. Um, and, you know, also write a letter to the editor. Look on, um, you know, look for places in your community where you can engage people and say, this looks like it's a problem. Let's figure out what we can ask our member of Congress to do that will make it better and not worse. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I guess now as they're in committee and uh, conference committee, they'll put something together. Do you have any sense it'll be better? Uh, I don't have any sense it will be better. I think that they are really working hard to try to make the numbers work so that it can meet the rules of the Senate. And, 
you know, what I've heard, there's a couple different things we're hearing. One is that they might increase the corporate rate to 22%. But, you know, it doesn't sound like what they're going to do with that extra revenue from that is reduce the deficit. It sounds like they're just going to increase the number of individual breaks that people are interested in seeing. Hmm. Um, So that concerns me. Um, But I um, we're going to have to see. They have a very tight vote margin in the Senate. So, you know, what some what is going to convince some senators to abandon this bill is exactly what's going to keep other people committed to it. So it's a balancing act, and it's not too late to, to you know, go back to the drawing board. Oh boy, it's always a it's always a balancing act. Uh, Miss Ryan Alexander, thank you so much for your time. Again, she serves as the president of Taxpayers for Common Sense. Has been doing so since two thousand six. Uh, And it's just, I think, another person on the front line influencing, trying to find a way to keep the rest of us educated and informed, but also, you know, helping create better tax policy. Uh, We'll continue the journey, folks. A little Coach's Corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! So I spend a lot of time in my life and in my everyday uh, interactions working with people that are that, are, that tend to be out of sync with each other. Um, in my coaching business, we, we really spend a lot of time with couples and businesses and business owners in how to get in sync. And it's not an easy thing, especially you look at the tax laws, like we have Congress and Senate totally out of sync. And that makes sense, right? Large bodies, everybody's been uh, somehow was elected by a constituency that has expectations. So one of the things I wanted to do is, and one of the things we try to do on the show is always bring it back to your life and how, and, and things you can do for you and your your family some rules here for how to get back in sync with your spouse. Um, I've, I've seen it even in my own marriage, in my own life. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, over years of me being a small business owner, uh, my wife and I could easily get on different pages where she couldn't understand what was going on in the business. I didn't understand what her complaint was about going what was going on in the business. And so recently we found a way to actually get more involved by getting her more involved in the business. And, uh, you know, some are like, Ugh, how's that going? But it's going really well, quite honestly. The more we know, the more informed we are, um, the, the better off I think we all can be. And so here are some other rules I've learned about uh, increasing your connectivity and getting in sync with each other. First and foremost, count the bars of your connectivity. How many times have you lost a call, and the minute you lose the call, you immediately then check the how many bars you have um, on your service, right? You're, you have to now see, oh, no wonder we lost it because I only have one bar. Uh, it might be better that we check the bars as we're communicating. And so start checking in with each other and finding out how are we? are we. Are we on the same page here? By the way, one way to detect that is if you notice a lot of negative emotion, if you notice a lot of mistrust and a lot of misinformation and, com- and confusion. Anytime you, you notice those signs, those are the signs that connectivity is down. Negative emotion. So if you're starting to fight with each other, misunderstand each other and not trust each other, you probably ought to slow down, make sure we go get our bars up and start connecting and communicating in a better way. Another thing you could do is identify what is the interference. What's stopping you from being able to communicate with your partner? 
Is it simply, you know, is it just that we're running around too much? Is it that we never actually are talking eye to eye? Is it that we're doing all of our communication through text? There is going to be more and more uh, noise, they call it, in the channel if we if we don't have a clear signal, if we're not, if we don't increase as many ways as we can to make sure the message is understandable. You know, do you keep if you've, if you've ever gone inside a building and you couldn't. Uh, your phone wasn't working because you're in the middle of a building, you have to eliminate some of that interference. And you'll notice what you do is you start walking more toward the outside of the building. You'll go stand near a window. You'll do anything you can to decrease the, the interference that's coming from those walls. The same is true in your marriage. Sometimes you need to get closer to each other, start walking closer to each other, be closer to each other, and remove some of the walls that are between you and your partner. Another rule, fairly basic one, is you probably need to make sure you have the skills and the tools to connect. Uh, More and more, I just did it with my Wi-Fi in my business. I tried to change a password, and it messed up the entire thing, and then I was without Wi-Fi in my office for a few days until I could figure out how to make that work because I don't have the tools to change my Wi-Fi. I don't know how to do it. So I had to go spend some time learning how to do it. And once I've learned how to do it, now I can do it going forward. Each of us needs more skills, more tools. Um, There's a simple rule about five hours a week of basically spending five hours uh, a week reading, reflecting, experimenting. That's a rule by Michael Simmons, um, who just basically says he tries to learn something, you know, five hours a week. And uh, why not? Man, that seems to help, right? Other people that are doing it are Warren Buffett, Oprah. They spend a lot of time learning. Uh, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, they're constantly learning. Another rule, turn up your receivers. At some point, don't always assume it's a signal problem because the, the transmitter is not transmitting. Make sure the receiver is on. Make sure you are tuned in and paying attention to your partner as well. And finally, <clears throat> keep testing. And when you lose connection, try again and see if it's happening yet and keep testing and keep testing and keep testing until we get connected. A lot of times in our we do that with our cell phone, right? If we really have to get a call out, we will keep how about now? How about now? Is it working now? How about now? But in our marriages, sometimes I've noticed we give up way too easily. If we can't communicate, if we're not understanding each other, a lot of times we just are done and we walk away. You can't do that in a long-term relationship. If you want to make it work, Let's just start showing each other, I'm committed. I'm committed to being connected to you and to keep learning and to keep trying and to keep uh, being there. And if not, let's, we'll try again in five minutes. Let's try again in 20 minutes. Let's try again in a half hour. I love timeouts in relationships, but if you have a timeout, my friends, you also must have a time in. And the time in should be as quickly as you can make it be. And if you don't know how to have the time in, then go learn some skills. Go get the tools you need and or just keep listening to the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, one of our producers here on the Matt Townsend Show is Leanna Tan, and she's been doing... These little uh, bits, we call them, are now little tangents because of her last name, Tan. Her graduation is coming up, and uh, as she's wrapping things up, she's going to tell us about the five things that she will miss most about college. Man, six years ago, I walked onto a college campus bright-eyed and pretty clueless. I had no idea college would last a good quarter of my life. 
or that it would take me to Hawaii, Utah, New York, and Greece. It's been a wild ride, full of long sleepless nights, <sighs> tension headaches, test anxiety, 20-page papers, malnutrition, and overpriced utilities. But as I come to a close of this college journey, I look back and realize it hasn't been terrible. In fact, there are a lot of things I'm going to miss. Part of me wants to grab hold of the flagpole and cling on for dear life so they don't drag me away. <sighs> so, in tribute to my university experience, here are five things I'm going to miss about college. Number one, choosing my schedule. It's so nice to be able to just say, Okay, I want to have class on Monday and Wednesday, but I don't want anything on Friday, so I'm not going to choose any on that day. And I don't want to wake up any earlier than 8 a.m., so I'm going to start my first class at 10. And then being able to have an on-campus job that works around my schedule and my crazy loads of homework. It's been so nice to be able to get in a couple hours of work, take a couple hour break to go to class, and then go back to work for a couple hours. It breaks up the monotony and makes me so much more productive. I don't know how grown-ups chip away at the workday for eight hours straight. Number two, scholarship money. When am I going to get the chance to write an essay about my goals for the future and then suddenly have thousands of dollars in my pocket again? That's like getting paid a dollar for every word you write. If I can find a job with that kind of wage, I'll ship myself off to the hills of Ireland and pursue my lifelong dream of becoming a novelist. I'm going to miss that lump sum of tax-free dollars in my checking account. Number three, easy access. Living on campus is like living in a tiny little town with everything at your fingertips. I mean, you've got restaurants, museums, a salon, a post office, printers, shows, movies, books, internet, a bowling alley, a doctor's office. The only thing they don't seem to have is parking. And boy, am I going to miss a free gym, free counseling, and free tennis racket rental. I mean, do you realize how much that stuff will cost me in the real world? An average gym pass is like 40 bucks a month. And a single counseling session could be like $200. Yikes. Right now, I could literally just live on campus. Eat in the cafeteria. Shop at the bookstore. Shower in the locker room. And sleep under my work desk. Huh. I could have been saving hundreds of dollars all this time. Number four. Student discounts. Oh, man, I'm really going to miss these. I'm considering just extending my graduation just to get my free pocket point sandwich from Chick-fil-A or to keep my student trial of Amazon Prime. And I just discovered this last week, unfortunately, but I get a free download of the Adobe Suite and a free web domain. So many perks that will just be ripped from my hands in a couple weeks. And that golden student ID that has gotten me through so many restaurants and so many museum admissions will soon be null. I never thought that awkward student ID picture would ever mean so much to me. And number five. Learning. I mean, in all honesty, this is the greatest part about college. The opportunity to learn from such successful, knowledgeable, talented, and seasoned people in a safe environment. I think I really will miss stretching my mind every day academically and being able to get constructive criticism back on my mistakes. I'll miss having that support and safety net of teachers and mentors and even fellow classmates cheering me on, 
giving me ideas and helping me be the best I can be. It's been a good, productive six years. Thinking back on everything I've learned and become since that day as a wide-eyed 18-year-old, there are paths I've crossed that I never thought I'd experience. So I guess, here's to the next six years of my existence. Who knows where I'll end up? Thanks, college. Despite your hidden fees and frustrating multiple-choice exams, I'm going to miss you. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is Friday, hour number two of our program, and uh, we're going to get you launched, folks, to have a great weekend. Got a lot to cover today, including the online pursuit of happiness. We'll be talking uh, with an expert that can give us some guidelines on how you can get a little more joy even online. Probably stop looking at Amazon every day. Oh, but that's so fun. I know, but there's the uh, the momentary pleasure followed by the lingering guilt. Yeah, and then the uh, yeah, and then the credit card bills. They're all oh, yeah. going to come in January, folks. So be careful. If you know, I mean, if you're if you're telling your kids repeatedly, "Oh, just one more minute, one more minute," <laughs> while you're on Amazon, yeah, I think you've got a problem. Oh, you know what has changed my life this week is uh, we're tending my we're babysitting our grandbaby. And it's changed me because I'm now uh, – I feel it's so fun. And everyone in the house has to be happier and everyone has to be nicer <laughs> because we have this cute little two-year-old running around that is very social and doesn't want to go to sleep till very late at night. You're probably worn out. I am worn out. and But we then I'm like, do you want to go get in bed and watch um, a Christmas show? And she's like, yes, Grinch, which I didn't think the she'd Jim go Carrey for. The Jim Carrey Grinch? She's, she wanted to wow. see the Grinch. Which was – it's – he's – you know, he's a mouthy, nasty, dirty Grinch. Yeah, he's terrifying for a lot of kids. She loves him. I remember when my, my niece, who's now 19 years old, when that movie came out, she was just a little girl and she saw the trailer and freaked out. <laughs> she just burst into tears yeah, at these the trailer. Kids, these kids nowadays are a lot tougher. Yeah. She's just a tough cookie. It's fun. It's fun to, to have that and and then – you know, so last night I watched a little of the cable news, which I don't ever do, and uh, then I had to decide cable news with the dark evil spirits that come from there, hmm. or not that any of the people are dark evil spirits, by the way, just the news, and then or do I go hang out with my baby, my grandbaby, and that baby. was a very easy decision. Oh, Turned yeah. it off. Life is so much better, and by the way, a lot happier when you don't pay attention to it. There are some stories you have to be paying attention to. If you live anywhere in California, yeah, you need to you need to know. You need to know. One hundred forty one thousand acres have been scorched so far, from San Diego County up through, I guess, uh, L.A. County. Is that is that the extent of it? Yeah, I mean it's. We're talking Carpent- Carpinteria, California. Wildfires are roaring there as well. I mean, remember all the way uh, up into Northern California earlier in the year. This has been a really tough year. At least 5,700 firefighters are currently working to contain the towering walls of flame. On the way in today, I was trying to figure out how many firefighters it would take to put these fires Unbelievable. out. Unbelievable. And at what point did they just say, you know what, we probably can't put 
keep putting these resources no. into this. We just need to let it burn. But how, I mean, oh, and now it's even burning down near freeways. And then some there's places where entire, uh, you know, um, living centers, uh, 10 or 15, 20 homes in an area will start burning in this little center uh, where they built their homes. The homes and fires have or the fires have forced 190,000 people out of their homes including pets. Mm. They're losing animals. They're losing a lot of things. In fact, we saw an Instagram post basically pleading with people, be careful during the night. A lot of animals are losing their their ground, and they are going to be coming through your yards. Yeah. So bring your animals, if you can, inside and uh, leave some water out for the other animals that will be passing through your yard and then leave those animals alone. Can you imagine the prices for fire and earthquake insurance in California? No. Got to be pretty high. Right. And you've got all that water right there. But how do you get that water up on the mountain? And think about it. Bucket by... But you don't really want that either. We don't want a tsunami right now. Plus, uh, what happens too is then you're going to have a lot of mudslides later. You're going to lose these mountains. They're going to start coming down if there's rain uh, in the future. So... A lot of school closings as well. Governor Jerry Brown has declared an emergency proclamation for Santa Barbara and San Diego counties. Unbelievable. So it's as high up as Santa Barbara. Uh, Fast winds, wind gusts in the area are up from 35 to 55 miles an hour. Just uh, unbelievable. Our prayers are with you, California. I wish we could do more. I know we are sending from our state, from Salt Lake City and from Utah, we're sending firefighters there. But... um, Folks, this is this is pretty catastrophic. Just to give you some perspective, too, that's about four, depending on traffic, maybe five hours of a range there from Santa Barbara yeah. to San Diego. And that's how long it would take you to travel that distance in your car. And between that range, there are six fires burning. It's crazy. And uh, the Thomas Fire, the Rye Fire, the Creek Fire, the Liberty Fire, the Lilac Fire— and the Skirball fire. This is, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. All surrounding that Los Angeles area. And then the winds will blow the fire, like, even across roads and onto the roof of another building. And then those buildings catch on fire. So I even saw a video yesterday of the helicopter pouring water on house structures in neighborhoods because they've got to stop these connected homes from burning down. So... Unbelievable situation, and uh, boy, they just need they need a break. They need a break in the wind and the weather. Man, a little rain. How about a little morning rain? Wouldn't that be great today? It's also something that California does not get much of. Yeah. Maybe uh, we need a little rain dance or something. I don't know. Let's get to the headlines, the other headlines that are around the news. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? The House and Senate on Thursday passed a two-week continuing resolution to fund the government for... Two weeks. The government was set to run out of money on Friday, so today the stopgap extension gives Congress leaders more time to negotiate year end legislative actions. President Donald Trump met with the top four congressional leaders early Thursday, which the top Democrats in the Senate and the House yielded no agreement. But discussions continue. Some Senate Democrats have said that they vote, will vote against a year end spending bill if the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA program is not dealt with, a move that could threaten the government shutdown if enough Democrats join them. Now, this continuing resolution goes through December 22nd. Oh, good. So then we can have one more 
Yeah, just before in, the year end, they'll go. Ah, oh, let's let's get this past Christmas. They'll get. Oh, let's get to the first of the year. It seems like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are in now. They finally were willing to meet with the president. Yes, they were in the Oval Office yesterday. So, so now we can all rest assured. Yes, Chuck and Nancy are back in the conversation. Chuck, Nancy, and Don will hammer it out. Poor Paul Ryan doesn't seem to have the power he used to. We always talk about Chuck and Nancy, not uh, Mitch and Ryan, Paul. It doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. Not Paul and Mitch. Chuck, Nancy, and Don. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what like happens. the bullies in the school back in the 50s. After, let me see here. Uh, yesterday we had uh, Al Franken just uh, announce he's resigning his office. Yeah. And uh, also Representative Trent Fla- Franks of Arizona announced on Thursday he was resigning from Congress amid allegations of sexual misconduct, specifically that he asked two female staffers about being surrogates for his children. Yeah. Kind of an odd conversation to have him. Well, it's either the worst pickup line ever. Yeah. <laughs> or it's it's just a weird, weird conversation. He has admitted the comments or the conduct that he made certain individuals uncomfortable, including discussion of surrogacy in the workplace. Franks and his wife have long suffered from infertility and experienced three miscarriages. The announcement came moments after the House Ethics Committee said it had opened an investigation into whether Franks engaged in conduct that constitutes sexual harassment and or retaliation for opposing sexual harassment, Frank said. So he will leave on uh, January 31st. They'll figure that out. I mean, it's maybe that's just code for other, you know. I don't, I don't know. It seems like an odd conversation to yeah. have in the workplace. Hey, by the way. Yeah. Hey, have you thought about surrogacy? <laughs> Is that a pickup line? Like, what? I had to read that story a couple of times. Like, yeah. What are they talking about here? I mean, you feel bad. If, yeah. But, if it's a mistake, well, but then if why he, resign? If he really was looking for a surrogate, you, you know. You'd, you'd think you'd want to communicate that much more clearly in a way that it wouldn't be misinterpreted as, how about you? Like, wouldn't you say something like, hey, our family, we're looking for a surrogate. If you know anybody in your world that might be willing to help, hmm. I just need to get the word out. That you, might make more there, sense. There'd than, be different ways than talking to your people that work for you. Well, may, well, but except, think about it. You spend nine hours a day with these people. Well, I would I, ask I, you guys to be my surrogate. Really? You'd ask us for a kidney? No, no, no. I don't want your organs. <laughs> well. Yeah, no. But you, wouldn't just, you ask the people you know? I'm just, I'm just saying you might ask a female to, to be a surrogate, but you might ask yeah. somebody like us to be a kidney donor. Uh, but and I, you No, know. right. But the bigger thing, too, is he apparently didn't communicate it very well with two or three people, so there's probably a lot more to the story. Yeah. It's all in the wording. Surrogacy. All in the wording. It's always in the wording. Yeah, strange right. stories. After pleading guilty in May to federal civil rights offense in the death of Walter Scott, former South Carolina police officer Michael Slager was sentenced Thursday to 20 years in prison for second-degree murder of an obstruction of justice, the uh, Post-Courier reports. April uh, 2015, Slager fatally shot unarmed Scott as he fled a routine traffic stop. Three days, at, three days after the shooting, a witness posted a video online of the police officer uh, shooting Scott multiple times in the back as Scott ran away. Yeah, this video is just now that was crazy. It's the guy egregious running away, and then you pull your gun, and then the cop, the police officer, walked up next to the guy as he's laying on the ground and drops a taser next to him to kind of oh look, he had a weapon. I had hey. to shoot him, you know that kind of thing. So uh, the footage of Scott's uh, death sparked protests and demonstrations across South Carolina, and uh, so yeah. 
he's going to go away for 20 years. He, I believe he has an appeal, so I well, don't know if the story's over. But. but, I mean, imagine if you're from a minority community and you watch that video and the guy's – I mean, this was in question mm-hmm. and the guy's going away for 20 years? Like – Twenty years. I mean, I guess that's good, but he chased the dude down. Yeah, and it's on video. It's on video, it's, and it's and then you, it's, then you it's watch the most him, alarming video I think we saw that year. And then you watch him try to plant evidence. I know, and he gets twenty years. It's like so, and we're supposed to trust this going forward. Yeah, are they going to trust? Are they going to chase me down and then get only twenty years? Yeah, I don't know. So, man, crazy stories. Yeah. And finally. I really love the Planet X conspiracy. Oh, here we go. It's one of my favorite conspiracies because it's so crazy. Yeah. So, last month, mm-hmm. conspiracy theorists predicted that the end was nigh <gasps> as Planet X, or Nuruburu. Oh, say that again. Nuruburu. N-I-B-I-R-U. Nuruburu. Nuruburu was set That's to great. trigger a series of earthquakes that would lead to the apocalypse. While their predictions, thankfully, did not come true, that's breaking news, apparently. Yet. The conspiracy theorists now have a new theory, this time involving the moon. (gasps) Their bizarre theory suggests that world leaders are using the moon and the sun to hide Planet X by spraying chemicals into the sky. Hmm. So, Planet X uh, is a hypothesized planet on the edge of our solar system that reportedly orbits the sun every 3,600 years. Wow. I thought Pluto defeated this Planet X in a, in a no-holds-barred fight. No, I think that was, yeah, misinf- misinformation. So Was it the other way around? Yeah, I think Pluto hmm. got his hat handed to him. The Whoa. idea is that we have this rogue planet that's going to crash into our planet. Yeah. That everyone knows about it, and they're just not telling the public. Yeah, they're just, and they're clouding the world, I guess, so we can't see. Anyway. So, so there's this guy. We'll, we'll just call him Mr. Rogers. No, don't ruin that name. <laughs> well, I know, but... Just call him Mr. X. Okay, Mr. X. So Mr. X has this video out, yeah. and he says he has several images of the moon and sun taken around the world. Okay. And because... Uh, he goes, the moon over Austria. He goes, looking up, we should see the moon, not a beam of light. I do believe they're using another reflector up there. It does look very strange. That's not the moon. It's like so. They, he thinks it's like just a big, like some maybe reflect, it's a, reflective dish yeah. or disc or something blocking our true view of the sun. There's other places where it says, "I cannot see the stars." Mm. It looks like a circular pattern in the sky at night. Interesting. Yeah, maybe it's uh, light pollution. Uh, well, I, well, yeah, I it could be, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want. I'm not a scientist. Then, then he's pointing to some unnatural cloud formations uh-huh. in certain areas of the world on like, the planet. I, I saw one that looked like a giraffe the other day. He goes, all of these are caused by pilots spraying our skies. They're being used and controlled by the governments. Okay, mm. contrails, Matt. It's yeah. about contrails. Yeah, no, no, no. Those are pilots spraying the skies. With pollutants. So what he says, they spray the skies at specific times of the day and times of the month in a pattern of spraying that's so blatantly obvious that they're hiding something. He goes on to say that the world leaders are spraying the skies with chemicals to hide the sun and the moon and ultimately prevent us from seeing Planet X. Has has he never taken a commercial airline 
and recognize that there's a pattern nope. of schedules. Matt, this is a big cover-up. And there's contrails because of those airlines? And they're predictable? No. This is the world governments working in coordination to block uh-huh. us from actually seeing a passing planet. Wow. Hmm. I, haven't, I have never thought of it that way. Really? No, now I, I... This is a new idea. It's really actually a very, 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 very old idea. Well, yeah. From people that weren't informed. But now it's being replayed as new. I love this story. Mr. X, I feel bad for him. Mr. X, he needs to... I'm not sure. How he needs you... to connect with that one guy that is going to fly the rocket up into oh, right. the atmosphere. To no, the Atmos flat. Atmos flat. The flat Earth guy to, see, to prove that the world, the globe, the Earth is not spherical. Hmm. Boy, you know what they need? Hmm. They need Bill Nye. He needs Bill Nye. A visit Bill from Bill Nye, Nye, the science guy. That Bill, Bill, the Bill, guy with the engineering Bill. degree that talks about science. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't need to be a scientist to talk about science. No, it's just he seems to talk about things beyond his... His scope? Yeah, he just sort of... I mean, he does things, but it's like... I mean, I understand you can go on YouTube and watch things and gain an education that way. It just seems like he's being held up as this all-encompassing knowledge of science. It's like... No. Is he? He actually started out in sketch comedy, I believe. There there you go. He's the science guy. I know. It's in his name. He's Bill Nye, the science guy. So you know where that name came from. So he was doing... mother and father? He was doing a sketch or he was doing this improvised scene and... I guess one of his fellow cast members, he had said something technical, and he's like, whoa, what are you, Bill Nye the science guy? That's where it came from. That's where it's it started it stuck as a from joke. Okay. So finally, NASA has commented on Planet X. Oh, good. What is NASA saying? If it were real and headed for an encounter with Earth, astronomers would have been tracking it for at least the past decade, and it would be visible by now to the naked eye. Yeah, but you can't see because of well, the that, spraying. That's what. The, yeah, yeah, see, that's the. <laughs> that's where they get you. That's the little hook. So NASA says obviously this does not exist. <sighs> wow. Whew. Choose your sources. Yeah, that's why you listen to the Matt Townsend show. Your Planet X update. We will give you uh, an update on all of the latest and greatest conspiracy theories. Every time the Daily Mail decides to make fun of that guy, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll read the story because it's fun. And as soon as there is a decisive um, verdict on the Atmos flat, mm. we'll let you know. Well, he's trying to get the right permits. Well, yeah. The problem is federal land and they really don't want you launching missiles with you inside of it and you could die. Yeah. They'd rather you do that not on federal land. Yeah. And not on the internet. Well, yeah, he's going to stream it. You know he's going to stream it. Well, you're not going to want to miss that. No. I'm going to watch it. I want to see if he actually parachutes out. He better. That's like the idea is supposed to jump out of the contraption. Yeah, I've always found it. I've always found that landing the rocket's always the hardest part. Mm, yeah. It's a lot easier to be shot up it's into that, a rocket. That sudden stop at the end. Yes, yeah. true. Good point. Good point. Hey, let's get to some empty news headlines. Jeffrey, anything going on that we should be paying attention to? Well, you've heard of armed robbery. Right? Oh, You may have even taken part in a few. No, no. I haven't. I haven't. Well, how about moisturized robbery? Come again? Moisturized robbery. All right. So there's this man that's accused of robbing a gas station while armed with a tube of hand lotion. Really? 
His name's William Walls. He's 35, and he was arrested Sunday. Authorities say Walls went into a Louisville gas station with his face covered and indicated that he had a gun and demanded money from the clerk. Right? So, so far, it's pretty standard. Yeah, very. The clerk complied with his demands. As Walls ran to a nearby vehicle with the stolen money, he dropped a sack containing the supposed gun, but it turned out to be a tube of hand lotion. Hey, buddy, put the hand lotion down. <laughs> He's going to be the most uh, moisturized guy in prison. Oh, they're going to love him in prison. So- <laughs> He's going to love those prison hugs, as we talked about earlier. Jerry, your hands are so soft. So he was charged with first-degree robbery. Wow. But they complimented him on the sheen of his yeah. – the shine and sheen of his hands. Mm. Is that the menin scent? And this is a story that I'm sure Terry would love and which is why he put it in here. But uh, there's a thief who broke into a house in Scotland – yeah. Okay, so far pretty standard. Totally. Understandable, right? Thieves are everywhere. <laughs> and uh, he promptly fell asleep on the job and woke up the next morning in handcuffs. Well, maybe he wasn't there to steal anything. He was there to just take a nap. Well, hold on That's a second. That's not a crime That's not there. all. Police officers say the man was found next to a half-eaten pie and covered in Doritos. Yeah. So this maybe. is still understandable for you. Yeah. Okay. He went he didn't go there to rob anything. He needed a meal. And a bed. It's like it's the three bears story over and over again, just in Scotland. <laughs> That's a good point. So uh, he allegedly broke into the house late Monday night. We all feel tired when we start a shift, and the thief who started his shift at 11.45 p.m. yesterday was no different, joked right. the police on Twitter. He broke into a house on Corswall Street, decided on a pit stop, ate half a pie, and fell asleep covered in Doritos. Which bed was he in? The too soft. Ooh, that's the a too good point. hard. Maybe it was a turkey pie, because oh, you know yeah. uh, tryptophan oh, is, yeah. what, is in turkey. Right uh-huh. Whew. Yeah. And Doritos. I mean, eating a bag of Doritos. Mm. That's gonna make you not only get really tired, yeah. but make you reassess your life. Who hasn't done that? I mean, it's just it was it wasn't his home. I don't want to admit that yeah. I've done that. Yeah. I know downed a bag of Doritos. I think. I mean. In the in the Three Bears story, you never heard about a breaking and entering. It was and just yet a, that's some what she was doing. Right. It was a little porridge issue. She was checking out the beds. I don't see the issue. So depending on the version that you've read, if she ends yeah. up dead at the end, I guess maybe it was justified. Yeah. Not home justified. invasion. It was a home invasion. Yeah. Just, I mean, if we're going to live by the law, you got to die by the law, I guess. Crazy stories out of uh, Scotland. Okay, that's uh, straight ahead. Pursuit of happiness, folks. We will be getting into some tools, some ideas, five ideas, in fact, for uh, how to find happiness in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Many people believe that they can find happiness by earning more money, losing more weight, or even binge-watching their favorite show on Netflix. Although people may find temporary happiness from these things, they won't find real and lasting happiness from them. Linya Floyd, a journalist who writes about health and wellness, decided to Google how to find true happiness 
and while doing so, discovered some pretty surprising theories out there. Today, she's here with us to share these theories and to to enlighten us about uh, what a little Google search can do for your happiness. Linya Floyd, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. This is such a, a fun experiment you did. So talk about, uh, I mean, you, you work for Family Circle, uh, the magazine, and you write for them um, and won many awards for it as well. So what, what made you think, okay, I'm just going to go Google search happiness <laughs> and, make, and put together an article? So uh, this might not sound so exciting, but at Family Circle, we have ideas meetings and the seed for this was planted actually by our deputy editor who stumbled across one of the blog posts that I mentioned in the story. She came across Jason Goldman's story about when less is more. Hmm. Um, and so from there, this larger idea was born about searching for happiness online and really trying to uncover things that people haven't heard before um, that were surprising to me. I really wanted to bring people things that were surprising to me because I've read a lot yeah. about this topic before um, and really just dig in on that universal desire that we all have, right? Everybody wants to be happier. Um, and there's some very simple things that you can do to achieve the joy that you seek. Because, you know, as a health director at Family Circle, I talk about lots of physical health. I talk about a lot of mental health. This is about emotional health, which is just as important and just as influential in our lives. No, absolutely. And it's um, how fun, because you're right. If you if you even uh, start entering, how can I be oh, yeah. happy? I mean, millions and millions of things will pop up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how to how to be happy got me two hundred and forty nine million choices. <laughs> so that's good on one hand, right? Yeah. Because okay, there's great. There's lots of great ways to do this, but it's overwhelming for people as well. So I was really trying to streamline that and just bring the best of the best that I found that will hopefully have a really big impact on people's day to day. That's great. Talk about what you learned. Yeah. What were some of the learnings? So um, there is, like I said, there's a lot of stuff out there that we've kind of heard before about mindfulness and about meditation and about gratitude. Um, But the really surprising stuff um, that I was able to stumble upon came from some, you know, very niche pockets. Um, And one of the things that I loved, I mean, I think my favorite piece of advice um, came from a blogger named Spencer Greenberg. Um, He's actually a mathematician and an entrepreneur, but he had this great blog post about focusing on what an ideal ordinary week looks like. Because so often we think about the big milestones of life making us happy and the weddings and the graduations and the big promotions. And Spencer's blog was all about thinking about your ideal ordinary week. What would, what would bring you happiness in that ordinary week? Because the ordinary days outnumber the extraordinary ones, yeah, right? Right. So if we can focus in on the joy that we can get from an ordinary week, that could bring you a tremendous amount of satisfaction. And he asks these really great questions um, in his blog, like, in an ideal run-of-the-mill week, how much time would you spend watching TV? Now, when you phrase it like that, the number probably drops down right. know, from wherever it normally is. But when we don't plan out that ideal week, that ideal ordinary week, when we're just kind of going through the going through the motions of 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 our you know of our day to day, you know that number probably skyrockets because we think 
zoning out in front of that TV is going to bring us happiness. And if I can just get in one more hour of that show or binge a little further, you know, that'll make me happier. But when you actually look at that week and kind of plan it out and ask yourself, you know, how much time would I spend watching TV in that ideal ordinary week? Or how much time would I spend painting or playing the piano or spending time with my kids in an ideal ordinary week? that actually might bring you some surprising numbers or some surprising goals for your week. Interesting. And then those goals would be goals that would be about you. I mean, about what you want, what you love. Yeah. Instead of being about what you're trying to avoid. Yes, absolutely. That's powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. It really is. It's a a small um, shift in thinking that can have really dramatic results. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and again, see, in my world, like of uh, of coaching and stuff, we would just call that uh, appreciative inquiry, right? So inquiring mm-hmm. into the appreciative, the positive, healthy side. But it, it is funny that a lot of the advice is more about avoidance and about you know you know rejecting certain things. And it seems like the minute your mind is just trying to reject stuff, it's not going to necessarily foster happiness. That is, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. And often when you ask people, um, I, I'm also in the world of coaching, so I completely understand what you're, what you're saying. And often when I talk to people and I ask them, you know, what would be the thing that would bring you joy or what would you like to have happen? Sometimes people go straight for the negative. Yeah, they, I don't yeah. want X. Uh-huh. I really hate it when blank happens. Yeah. So just that simple shift. Okay, that's what you don't want. What do, do you, you want? want? And yeah. that gives you power to actually do something instead of not do something. Absolutely. That's cool. What other yeah. learnings did you have? Um, so another thing, and this is probably going to sound very straightforward and simple, but when you sit with it for a little bit, it actually can have a really great mind shift. Um, Lisa Nichols, who is an incredible motivational speaker, um, I was watching a video of her um, that I found online on her Instagram where she was talking about happiness as being something that you, it's not, it's not a, basically, it's not something that you arrive at. Happiness is a destination that you stay at, right? Right. And so, you know, that could, that just that simple, that simple thought, right? It's not something that we're constantly trying to get to. It's not something that's 10 miles down the road, or it's not something that's coming tomorrow or a year from now. It's someplace that you stay, and where can you find those joys and that happiness in every single day, right? Coming back to these ordinary days instead of looking for those milestones down the road. Um, I thought that that was a really powerful, you know, in two sentences, she really beautifully encapsulated how important it is to stay in that moment of happiness and find those moments of happiness in the every single day. Mm, I and love that. There. Yeah, totally. <laughs> They're definitely there. Because we do. We, we, that's, we always kind of think, yeah, once I have more money, then I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Or once, you know, once our kids are grown up, then we'll have the fun. But it's, it's you're saying the learning is, no, 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 this is somewhere we, we stay in, we go to, we're constantly circling, we're always crossing through. Absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways that people can do that. Um, what I really encourage people to do is to try it all and figure out what works best for you. You know, there are apps out there. There's a great app called Three Good Things um, that all it does is it prompts you to write down three things that happened today that were good. Mm. Um, you know, I've done alphabet gratitude before on Facebook with a friend. 
so each, you know, for 26 days, you know, we were both coming up with and posting an A, a B, a C, you know, things that we were That's grateful great. for. Um, people like to journal before they go to bed or think about it the first thing, you know, as soon as they wake up in the morning to kind of set the tone for their day. Um, there's a great, there's a block in my neighborhood where someone actually um, spray painted on the sidewalk stand here for one minute and think about all you have to be grateful for. Hmm. So there are just so many opportunities, you know, looking down, writing down with apps, going online um, that you can take, you know, meditation um, that you can take in order to be more mindful, in order to be more um, grateful for those moments of happiness and those great things that happen to us in a day. And it's, again, it's not always going to be the big promotion, sometimes it's as small as giving help to someone or donating to a cause um, that you're passionate about or receiving help from someone um, in a moment where you really needed it and it was unexpected or creating a healthy meal for your husband or your children or being able to enjoy time with friends. Mm. Um, You know, there can be very simple things that have so much joy within them. Ah, such good stuff. Linya Floyd, we're speaking uh, with Linya Floyd, health director at Family Circle Magazine, and she's a nationally certified health and wellness coach, fitness enthusiast, award-winning journalist. Linya, you also talk about uh, the fact that maybe your goal setting might be important as well, because going for the gold may not always lead to the happiness. Yeah, so this was the story that kind of sparked the entire article, um, and this was done by Jason Goldman, writing about when less is more, and it's incredible. You can go online, take a look at it. There's actually a picture um, that shows these gold, silver, and bronze medalists um, standing at the podium. Um, and the silver medalist looks so distraught, and the bronze medalist is absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> and, and what I like about this is it really flips the script on this idea that comparison is always the thief of joy. Yeah. Um, it isn't always the thief of joy. Um, when you think about that bronze medalist who is ecstatic because she was seconds away from not even being on a podium and here she was and she wasn't focused on I don't have the gold I don't have the silver but really focused on wow I got this bronze and I'm up here celebrating my country and I was able to physically do this myself um, so celebrating myself as well and it's incredible so Sometimes, I don't want to encourage people to compare down, uh, because that's a a bit of a downer, Um, but I just love the idea that comparison isn't always a thief of joy. Very often it is when we think about somebody who has the bigger car, you know, the nicer car, or the bigger house, or the better job, or what looks like the happier um, relationship, Um, but not not always. Um, And sometimes comparison is that thing um, in the ways that you can have, for example, um, positive and negative stress, sometimes comparison is that thing that, that lights a fire under you and gets you to work a little bit harder um, and gets you to enjoy what you have a little bit more. That's so true. Um, I mean, really, they're, they're that joy that I made it, no matter what, I got a medal, and yet the yeah. silver's like, come on! Um, <laughs> it's such a true point. And also, you you bring up um, the importance of of watching, I guess, out for what you – how you verbalize, what you complain about. I mean, a lot of us would think yeah. that our talk may not matter as much to us, but, but share what you learned there. Yes. So there was a really great blog by Stella Grinzunt, 
and she talked about the fact that we should we shouldn't be complaining as much as we do. So there's kind of there's there's a small amount of complaining that you can do that actually will bring you a little bit of happiness in terms of connecting with other people. But once you get past that that kind of low threshold, you're just kind of spiraling. It's more of a downward spiral, right? And you're just kind of digging in on the things that are going wrong. When in reality, you could have an upward spiral. You could flip that script as well and focus on the things that are going well to bring you to an upward spiral instead. Um, so it's, again, it's really a small shift um, that we're talking about that can, again, make that really big impact. Um, and so one of the things, examples that I brought up in my story was commute. Um, I, I live in New York City. Commuting can be really frustrating. Commuting is frustrating everywhere, whether yeah. you're on a on, in a in a car or in a train or in a bus or what have you. Um, but sitting in how miserable you are, um, feeling stuck in traffic, is obviously not going to bring you any kind of happiness, right? Right. Or com- complaining about it endlessly or texting about it or what have you. Um, that's not going to bring you happiness. However, or it will only bring you a very minimal, there's that low threshold that I mentioned. However, if you could just make one small change, right? What about listening to an audiobook while you are stuck in traffic or listening to music or sending an email to someone telling them that you're thinking about them. There are so many other ways that you can make this very slight shift to what's going on in your life. And you can actually experience happiness even if you are going to be delayed by 15 minutes because of, you know, because of traffic or traffic being backed up or whatever. No, you know what? That was um, it. It's so simple and it's instantaneous. Like you're showing, you're showing that in an email, you can instantly create this joy in you again in, in just in, a second. Yeah, instantly within you. And it's like a domino effect. You're passing it along to someone who doesn't want to get an email that says, Hey, I was thinking about right. you and wondering how you are. It's <laughs> so true. And, and again, the joy that we, the, how contagious happiness can be. Um, one of the things that you pointed out that I, I, that maybe is this idea of how we look at our lives. We kind of see it as as event by event by event or big mm-hmm. event by big event by big event. Our friend's wedding, our child's mm-hmm. birth. It's kind of like we see it in, in clumps instead of this integrated whole. Um, how do we how do we work around that? Have you have you learned any way to find happiness by creating the path, like you said at the very beginning, that we're always in the path instead of just seeing it in the highlighted moment. Yeah, I think that it is about planning um, and having those little reminders um, throughout your day that do bring you, you know, until it becomes instinctive. I do have friends who this is this is second nature to them, um, and they are incredibly happy people. Bless them. This is second nature to them. But yeah. For those of us who are working on that, for those of us who are strengthening our happiness muscle, for example, um, I think that planning and having those reminders set in place to support you are what is going to be really helpful. So deciding when I wake up every morning, this is going to be, you know, I'm going to write down three things that I'm grateful for. And maybe setting a reminder on your phone so that you don't immediately jump up and start making the coffee or what have you, but you do take those minutes um, or minutes, right? How long yeah. does it take to yeah. think about three things that you're happy about or grateful for or thankful for? 
um, take that 60 seconds to make that happen. Have that reminder popping up on your phone. Um, doing a doing an informal challenge like I did with my friend on Facebook and doing alphabet gratitude. Um, just planning it and seeing what kind of impact it makes also. Um, I think that when you find the thing that works for you, um, you'll see that kind of click uh, and you'll keep you'll keep it up because you'll see what impact it's having on your overall overall well-being. Mm, such good advice. One more uh, question for you, Linya, is yeah. um, if there's one thing that you kind of learned overall, one thing that stood out for you most of all, that we could all apply today and that, I mean, you've already given us 10, um, but what's like the one biggest learning or aha that, that has affected your life the most that, that we could all so benefit from? So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, the, the ideal ordinary week, um, I think definitely made the biggest impact for, at least for me. Yeah. Um, and changed the way that I, um, plan things out, um, you know, the goals that I set myself, get set for myself in a given week. However, um, if I did want to kind of end on one thing with you, I would really recommend that people watch Dan Gilbert's TED Talk about natural happiness versus synthetic happiness. Oh, I love that, yeah. And, wa- and, and watch it more than once if you can. Yeah. Because it's a very deep concept that you just kind of have to sit in for a little bit. Um, he talks about the idea that natural happiness occurs when we get what we wanted and synthetic happiness is what we make when we don't get what we wanted. And a lot of times in life, you don't get exactly what you want. Um, so I think that there is a tremendous amount of value in there. And he pulls in some pop culture references. He talks about um, the Beatles and Ringo Starr's life versus Pete Best's life. So I, I really want to recommend that people take a look at that um, because I think that that could have a really tremendous impact on um, how you think about happiness. Um, and synthetic happiness and natural happiness and um, bringing more joy to your life. Beautiful stuff. Linya, you are amazing. A wonderful insight as well. Linya Floyd is her name, and you can find her on her Twitter handle, at, at Linya Floyd, L-Y-N-Y-A-F-L-O-Y-D, at Linya Floyd. Um, and you can also uh, find her, of course, as the health director at Family Circle Magazine. Wonderful, wonderful amazing person and uh, the more I learn about her writings and what she does impressive and I and really bringing it back bringing it back to you folks happiness happiness is your choice it's your life it's it's how you choose to see it and live it and we can all live it in a way that elevates the rest of the people around us we'll continue the journey folks up next uh, we'll be talking also to Jeff about his show coming up this is the Matt Townsend show helping you be the good in the world Welcome back, friends. Hey, that's the uh, just the, the howdy doody music that um, goes perfectly with our next segment. Um, Empty News with Jeff Simpson. I thought you might appreciate this one because you are a lover of Teslas. Yes, I am. And uh, you love to sleep in Teslas, or you would love yeah. to. Well, I, no, I break into a few and then take a little nap. Well, this doesn't have to do with sleeping, but... Uh, and, you know, they're not easy to steal. You may have tried to steal one yourself. <laughs> not not this week, but and yeah. This is a local story, too. The, uh, there are thieves in Utah that allegedly made off with 380,000 models by breaking into a dealership and stealing the fobs. Really? Yes. 
After that, however, their master plan fell comically apart. One guy claimed a family member had died and left them all this stuff, but two of them actually said it was given to them by a man named Tesla. Uh, Jimmy Tesla. I'm pretty sure Tesla died. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. did die. Uh, This is a police spokesperson that said this. Investigating a break-in at the dealership, police tracked down a suspect in one of the stolen Teslas and found him to be in possession of keys, the dealership's business license, and a check for $49,500 made out to Tesla. (laughs) The, The man claimed his name was Tesla and that someone he barely knew gave him the car and keys. I wonder if this went over too well. So while police checked clues at the dealership, a stolen Tesla happened to drive right by them. It ran out of battery power a moment later, so police easily picked up the 27-year-old female suspect who apparently forgot about the whole never-return-to-the-scene-of-the-crime theme or thing. Later in the morning, the third stolen vehicle was found parked outside a liquor store. She was probably going back to recharge her car. (laughs) Could be. The latter two individuals said they were part of the Tesla family, and the woman said she received the high-priced vehicle from Mr. Tesla himself. Are you? Do they see some people shouldn't drive a Tesla? Yeah. It's a gift. Don't. Or even. Pretend you know. Or some people shouldn't even commit a crime because clearly they're not equipped to uh, talk their way out of no, it. <laughs> absolutely not. I'll bet you, Buck, she was going back to recharge her car because she didn't steal the charging cables probably. Maybe they give those to you at the end. Hey, here's your extra charging cables or whatever. Hey, um, you've got a show coming up. That's true. Screen cleaning after the at the top of the hour. What will you be addressing there? It's so exciting. We're going to be having another Silver Lining Cinema segment where, you know, there are all these movies that just get trashed by the critics and pretty much everybody that watches it. Right. But it's Christmas and it's BYU Radio. We like to talk about the good. So we're going to give positive reviews for some of these movies that everybody else just does not give a chance to. Like Santa has muscles. Santa with muscles. Oh, Santa with muscles. Me, or excuse you. Excuse you. And uh, we're also going to be speaking with a young adult author who is trying to make the world a better place through his books. He goes around the country putting on free assemblies. How fun. He's done over 500 free assemblies. Unbelievable. What's his name? His name is Chad Tricef, and he actually uh, – it's, it's all coming out of his own pocket. What a guy. To go to all these different states and schools. That's great. Screen cleaning is the name of the the show. It's actually the the last hour of the Matt Townsend show. And we, we just hand the reins over to Jeff so he can go knock it in, into the weekend and you set you up for a really good life and a really good weekend with your family. Up next, uh, we'll be, uh, you know, learning. Mind-bending is the goal as we wrap up uh, hour number two of the program. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's the House of Bows. It's the House of Bows, which means McKenna Bows is here, and uh, she likes to do little mind benders and give us other stories that you may not hear normally on the radio. Um, today we're talking about those pesky little bots. Yeah. Those bots that can either, I guess, make your life easier or more complicated. Yeah, and it seems around the holiday season they tend to make things a little trickier. Yeah, what is their deal? I know, right? So how are they messing up Christmas? Well, or tricky, making it trickier. 
most of us are familiar with the problem of ticket scalping. Yeah. You know, there's that show, that game you really, really want to you go to. you got to get to that game. You cannot find tickets no. online. They're expensive. They're ten times the price they should be. Right. We're having that problem now with toys. So people are – the bots are making it more expensive? So what happens is these bots are programmed to as soon as deals show up for toys online, as soon as they're available, they go and buy them up in bulk. They just completely buy out stores and then they go and post them on Amazon, eBay oh, and sell them for boy. three times as much. Those rude little bots. Yeah, it's a real problem. Because, and it's all digital. So the companies don't care because we just sold out all of our inventory. But then they go mark up the prices. Oh, that's – I bet the companies do care, don't they? The companies are trying like to Like scalpers. Put, exactly. The companies are trying to put things into place to make sure that people are able to get the toys they want. Because when they're all sold out like this, it does create a lot of animosity towards the brands. Right. And so these companies, they do think it's a real problem. The trick is finding ways to keep these keep computer programs the stock. from yeah. oh, man. taking advantage of the system. See, you wouldn't think that this would be going on. You would not think that robot, little bots, computerized jerks. I mean, these aren't the scalpers on the street like, hey, man, I can get you a deal. These are little robots that are just beating you to the Amazon deal. Exactly. And so, you know, what traditionally, you know, the way you bought your toys was you went to the store, you picked them up. And in, you know, recent time, buying online, it makes it so convenient. Yeah. It's turning out that more and more, if you want to be yeah. able to get the thing, you might have to go back to the brick-and-mortar store because of this problem. And you know these bots are coming out on Black on Black Friday, and they're just creating havoc. Yeah, they are. Interesting stuff. McKenna, really thanks. That's, uh, that's a great little lesson. So they're going to try to fix it. We just need to be paying – maybe buy even earlier. Buy even earlier. Go out to the physical store. Don't rely – on, on shopping online, online unless you everything. want to pay, pay top price. McKenna Bouse is her name. Bouse in the house. And uh, that's my part of the show. It's such an honor to be with you. I'll be back again Monday. But uh, stick to, stay tuned with us because Screen cleanings up next with Jeff Simpson. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is Jeff Simpson. I'm here with Cole Wissinger. We're here every Friday, actually, to give you the best in entertainment news. We bring you exclusive trailers and commercials. You're not going to find them anywhere else, folks. We've got one coming up today just here in a minute. And uh, we're going to keep talking about holiday movies that you may or may not want to check out. We're also going to be speaking with our guest today who's going to talk to us about some books that are changing the world. And, of course, we'll speak with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. But as I said, each week we bring you the very best in entertainment news from the past week. And uh, let's go over those right now. Cole, you probably heard about this. And if you haven't seen the film Coco yet, you're this is definitely going to excite you. I got in too early. No! You've already seen it then? Yes. Oh, no. Because uh, it has been announced that Olaf's Frozen Adventure, the 21-minute short that precedes the film Coco, is going to be removed. Yes! This is fantastic news. Say what you will about the quality of the short, but 21 minutes is just a little too long. Actually, it's, it's a, a Christmas lot too spe- long. It is a television Christmas special that I have to watch before I get to watch the almost two-hour long 
also really good. Right. Coco. But the problem Number is... Number one movie it in was, America. It was Coco. supposed to be a TV movie, mm-hmm. and at the last minute they decided, oh, let's just slap it at the beginning of Coco. Never mind the fact that it's not even a Pixar short... Come on, but Disney, Disney Pixar. owns the world now, Jeff. This is Ugh. the Disney world we live in. Well, the uh, I, I guess I wish I would have waited a little longer to see Coco, but it can't diminish the quality of Coco, in my opinion. Did you like it, Cole? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, excellent. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You loved it? Loved. And I loved it. Whoa! This is that's. There we go. This is unprecedented, folks, that Cole and I agree on a movie. This is amazing. You should definitely go see Coco. Apparently. Oh, yeah. Wow. So uh, how about the best sci-fi news? I was pretty excited when I heard this uh, story, but there is a there's a, some unfortunate news that goes along with this. I was super excited when I found out that Quentin Tarantino may be directing a Star Trek film. That's that's so, so interesting. Weird. Yeah, but apparently he's a huge Star Trek fan, and he's been talking with well, J.J. Abrams. Well, I am Abrams. too, but they haven't asked me to direct a Star Trek film. Well, you know, he, when you have a couple of Oscars, I have seen a couple <laughs> Oscars. You've seen a couple of Oscars, yeah, like just out on the street. You mean? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. some some people get so many. You kind of look like an Oscar with that mustache you've got going on there, Cole. So, yeah, he could be directing a new Star Trek film. I don't know that he's writing it, but the unfortunate thing is apparently it's going to be R-rated. What? It's so weird. Also, is it going to count towards his official canon that he said he's only going to direct 10 movies? I don't know because he's directing it, but I don't think he's writing it. I'm sure he's going to rehash the script in some way. Yeah. But that's so unfortunate if it's true that it will be an R-rated film because – Yeah, we don't really talk about R-rated films on the show. Eh. Anyway, uh, the best Amazon Prime news. I need to know more about this because – Wait, about – This this next story because I was watching uh, Amazon Prime. My roommates and I enjoy the television show Survivor. And so there will be days where we just pick a random season and watch the whole thing in one day. And it's all on Amazon Prime. We're college students. It's all on Amazon Prime. (laughs) And I saw this ad pop up that said this news. Yes. But I know nothing about it. So you get to educate me and the masses today. So Jumanji doesn't come out for another couple of weeks, right? Right. And uh, they don't even really have too many reviews. I mean, I think you can fish around and find some. It looks like it could be a really good time. It's got The Rock and it's got Kevin Hart, so it's going to be funny. Really surprised me because I'm not a huge Kevin Hart fan. Uh, The Rock kind of has a hit or miss streak. But it's also got Jack Black. And the trailer that they put together makes it look pretty funny, actually. And kind of a, a really funny, clever idea. For this film. Anyway, Amazon Prime is advertising that you, if you're a Prime member, you can purchase advanced tickets to Jumanji and go see it tonight at a special screening. That's tonight? Tonight. So it makes sense that I saw it last night when I was watching. Yes. So if you want to go see it, Cole, we should put you on that so you could even review it even before Rod Gustafson has access to it. I'll be dang. Okay. But uh, you can't use your movie pass. I think you'd have to cough out the nine or ten bucks. Eh. Actually, I think it's yeah, I think it's only that much. That's not bad for a that. movie that comes out weeks in advance. You know, the only movie that I can think of that I saw 
because uh, you know it, it used to be that they did this a lot more that they would they would show an advanced screening of a movie not just the Thursday night showing but a week or two in advance really advanced the only movie I can remember ever seeing uh, in advance this way was the Princess Diaries well, there you go with some it's church right. friends and uh, yeah um, well, I don't wonder why they don't do that anymore. They well, don't do this more often. Amazon Prime has a, found a way to make money off of it. That, that's, that's true. That's the key. If, you, if you're going to lose out on your original box office and that theater experience, then why? I don't know, though, if if I were not a Prime member, I don't know if that would be enough to entice me to cough up $100. Jumanji wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. So maybe Disney's trying to launch their new streaming thing, right, in the next, whenever they actually decide to do it. If they do this with, like, a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie... Oh, people would do they it. They will get people to oh, sign for up for sure. their thing. Oh, yeah. So Disney, take note. If this works, or even if it doesn't, you might have an idea in the future. Yeah, and again, this is something that, that used to be a thing, so maybe it'll be a thing once again. We'll see how Jumanji does with this prime exclusive showing tonight. Uh, This one I'm really excited about, Cole. This is our best revival news. Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone is being revived. And, you know, to be fair, this is not the first time this show has been revived. It's happened a couple of other times. But listen to the people involved in this revival. I'm ready. Jordan Peele. Sold. Of Key and Peele fame. He also just directed his first film, which was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Spent $4 million on it or $8 million. Got a lot more back. <laughs> and he made hundreds of millions. Um, and as well as Simon Kinberg. Do you know who Simon Kinberg is? The name's familiar. But... He is a writer and producer of many of the X-Men and Marvel films. That's why it's familiar. So he's got some hits under his belt as well. So I'm really intrigued by this. A lot of a lot of people are are wary of this though because the revivals in uh, in the past have not done so well. It's kind of been mixed results. Right. So Jordan Peele's movie from earlier this year is Get Out, and we didn't talk about it. It's our that's mm-hmm. fine. But people that know what they're talking about, or i.e. the Oscar committee and the Golden Globes, they have been talking about it. And sure. for me, as a horror movie fan, to see a horror movie actually get recognized by the highfalutins that care about good movies means that it more so than us just talking about it, that means it does have something to it. If yeah. Jordan Peele is going to take that idea and take what it could be seen as just a feature-length Twilight Zone episode and had that kind of yeah. vibe to it yeah. and the horror-thriller-ish kind of thing. That's a good point. He knows what he's doing. And speaking of Get Out, I, I think one of the reasons maybe it's getting so much attention is because I think most people wouldn't consider it a straight horror film. I think oh, they would consider so it— so much going on. Yeah, they would consider it maybe a social commentary. It's got. You know? It's definitely got that. It's got the racial tension. It has a little bit of satire thrown in at times. I mean, Peel is coming from a a Comedy Central background, sure, and so he got some comedy in there. And he himself, Jordan Peel, describes it as a documentary, which I don't really <laughs> buy that argument, but he considers it a documentary. I I love the stuff around surrounding that movie. So you can this, enjoy that. This could be really good. The only downside is I'll just have to do the one-month free trial on on this streaming channel because it's going to be on CBS All Access. So you have to cough up the extra money for that. But I think it's only five bucks a month or something, maybe Mm, more. Is it more? That's like half of Netflix. 
That's a good point. To get a couple shows. Anyway, Cole, you and I were talking about this yesterday, and I think I may have a problem. I've been seeing a lot of movies lately, right? No. With my movie pass, so I gotta I gotta make it worth it, right? But sometimes I wonder, am I going to the movies because I actually want to go to the movies, or am I going to the movies for uh, just uh, as an excuse to eat movie theater popcorn? Right. Which for a lot of people, you got to have that movie theater popcorn. It's just not the same experience unless you get that popcorn just, you know, what just saturated in butter and uh, that you can smell from a mile away that you instantly regret after you eat it. But while you're eating it, it's just heaven. You're describing it very well. And I'm sure you're getting a visceral reaction from some of our listeners that have a, a similar connection with the popcorn as you do. Uh, their mouths might be watering, but yes. mine is not. Really? No. I think my wife would probably agree with you. I think she thinks it smells like vomit. And it always gets stuck in my teeth. There's nothing special about movie theater popcorn that takes the holes out. Okay, but listen to this argument. Movie theater popcorn is actually a good thing because it's mm. one of the few things that can remind me that I need to floss my teeth. <laughs> True, I always but do you bring the floss with you to the movie theaters? No, but again, that's part of the fun of the movie is you Having get to sit there. Having a hole stuck in your teeth for the entire movie. Yes, because uh-huh. you get to have a little bit of a tongue workout. You spend no. the movie. If the movie's not good, at least you have the, the, the time that you have in the movie theater to try to get that sucker out of your teeth I guess with your all tongue. the lights are off and no one realizes what an idiot you look like doing <laughs> that as well. Oh, Cole. So, yet again, something that we do not agree on. Popcorn's not good. So, is do I have a problem then if I'm going to the movie theater just to eat the popcorn? The movie is a vehicle yes. for the popcorn. Is that, is that a problem? Um, I mean, I enjoy movies and can enjoy them without popcorn. Okay. So, I'm just better than you? I don't know if you have a problem. Um, well, the last movie I went to where I didn't have anything to munch on, I've gone to some movies where I'll, I'll chew on some sunflower seeds, and that's good because a little bit can go a long way, and uh, you don't have all the fat of the buttered popcorn. But Mainly the butter. I went to the Murder on the Orient Express without anything, and it was just one of the weirdest feelings ever to just sit there and not have something. I So I'm not really big into fidget spinners. I, I do play with my phone a lot, but I wouldn't consider myself addicted to my phone. But when it comes to going to the movie theaters or, or, or even watching a movie at my house, I have to be busying myself with something food-wise. See, that's why I love the theater. If I'm going to watch a movie just from the comfort of my own couch, I often do get distracted looking at IMDb, playing games on my phone. But when I go to the theater, mm-hmm. I'm conscious of the fact that that little light is going to bother people. And so I can sit down and enjoy the movie movie, which is always a better experience. But my popcorn's not you know, letting off any type of a light. It is I guess it's exuding a, uh, an odor of and some that, kind. The noise and the odor could bother the people around you. I see. But if everybody's doing it, it's if okay, If you're a loud right? popcorn eater, it's not okay. Hmm. Well, I'm sure I'll hear about this from my wife when I get home. And she'll, I'll, the first thing I'll, she'll say when I walk in the door is, yes, you have a problem. Anyway, in our best foreign movie news, this is actually our ripped from the headlines segment today. Shh. 
There is a woman who was kicked off a flight after her emotional support pig became too rowdy. You know, you see people go on planes with their emotional support dogs, but have you ever seen an emotional support pig? Not personally, but I understand it in concept. Yeah, a little unusual. Apparently, uh, they tried tethering the pig to the armrest. Didn't really work. The pig started walking back and forth down the aisles. There was this guy that said, I was terrified because I was thinking I'm going to be on the plane with the pig. So American Airlines, the parent company of U.S. Airways, confirmed it was uh, taken on board as an emotional support animal. And the staff were eventually forced to order the pig off the flight when it became too disruptive. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of these snakes on a plane and snakes in a car, trailers coming out with Samuel L. Jackson. And apparently uh, there's a new franchise in Mexico that's going to be pigs on a or pigs in a such and such. But also starring Samuel L. Jackson, who, to his credit, did not hire a Spanish actor to do the Spanish voiceover. He did the whole thing in Spanish himself. Proximamente en cine cerca de ti. Algo apesta a 20.000 pies. Capitán, tenemos un problema. Y solo un hombre puede aclararlo. ¿Qué pasa, señor? Son cerdos. Lo he tenido con estos cerdos apestosos en este vuelo económico. Samuel L. Jackson en Cerdos en un avión. Cerdos realmente pueden volar. Movies. You ever talk about a movie with someone that happens to have read the book? They're always so condescending. Ah, uh, the book was much better. <laughs> oh, really? What I enjoyed about the movie? No reading. <laughs> yeah. It only took two hours, and then I could take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jim Gaffigan, of course, my favorite comedian. You know, I sometimes I have to agree with him. As much as I love reading, it, it is so much easier to just watch a two-hour movie instead of spending two weeks or maybe even two years, depending on how, how frequently you read. Um, you did graduate high school, right, Jeff? I did. I love reading. I absolutely okay. love reading. I It's just tough. I, I usually don't read these days unless I'm getting paid for it, though. So, And that's the sad part. I would just love to read for fun. Uh, In a bit, though, we're actually going to be speaking with a YA author, a young adult author, who's working hard to get more kids engaged in reading. We're going to be speaking with Chad Tricef here in just a bit. Cole, I talked about this last week on the show, and I mentioned that we're also going to be doing this each week on the show. I'm still looking for a new holiday classic that I can enjoy because I sometimes I feel a little burnt out on the movies that we watch over and over and over every year. And uh, I've decided that I'm going to start watching the Christmas films that no one else is willing to watch. And uh, in keeping with the holiday spirit, I'm going to make sure to see the good in these films in a segment that I'm calling Silver Lining Cinema Holiday Edition. Uh-uh. Ooh, uh-huh. 
So my good buddy Cole here was gracious enough to take on an assignment as well as the assignment that I gave myself. And Cole is going to give his positive review for his film. Following his review, I'll give mine. Cole, what was the movie that you watched? I watched Santa's Little Helper. Mm. Not to be confused with the dog from The Simpsons, although Uh the writers of this movie were kind enough to give me that reference during the course of it as well. Oh, good. They know that it's the name of The Simpsons dog as well. Okay. Santa's Little Helper is produced by the WWE film arm of that World Wrestling Entertainment. And did you know— That's a proven organization. It is. They have done many great things for these— Actors that are also buff. The Rock. They often include them in their movies, correct? Uh, This is actually my fourth favorite movie featuring a wrestler. Really? The first being They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. The second being Hulk Hogan playing Thunderlips in (gasps) Rocky Three. Yes. The third being literally every movie The Rock has ever been in. And then the fourth is uh, Santa's Little Helper. You you might want to... Check the math on that. But okay, okay. Fourth? I think it adds okay. up. And okay. the Vince McMahon of the WWE has wanted to make movies for a very long time, going back to the 80s when uh, John Carpenter got Rowdy Roddy Piper to be in They Live. Vince McMahon was super jealous. The very next year, he came out with uh, No Holds Barred with Hulk Hogan. Oh, that's right. I have not seen that film, though. It wasn't good. <gasps> Okay, but we're talking – we want but to talk about the good in this good. movie. Okay. Santa's Little Helper is a Christmas movie. Um, and they remind you by featuring the very familiar and understandable Christmas hero of the guy that doesn't really understand the holiday and is down on his luck as the movie begins. Mm. Poor The Miz loses his job. He loses his girlfriend and he's about to lose his house right before the Christmas season. Wow, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And so we're automatically sympathetic with The Miz, Miz's character, and <laughs> come into the rescue old Saint Nick himself to give him a little pep talk uh, that The Miz unfortunately does not heed. Uh, he's oh, no. a bit of a Scrooge. So Santa goes back to the North Pole and sends one of his elves, unfortunately an elf with round ears. She's a bit of an outcast. It's like Will Ferrell and Elf. Yeah. Okay. And she goes down to the the Earth world between the poles. I to think help I know where we're going Miz. with this plot, but keep going. She sends him through a little task, and actually Santa has a job opening up at the North Pole for the Ho Ho Ho. Wow! And that job stands for the head office herald of holiday operations. I love that. Which That's is clever. Legitimately clever, <laughs> and I love. So this this attractive young lady elf with round ears goes down to help out the Miz in his quest to find the meaning of Christmas. By the end, he does, and he proves his Christmas worth through an obstacle course uh, going up against another world wrestler, uh, another lady elf from the North Pole. Uh, We get to see them do wrestling things in the jungle, uh, up on these high-flying, acrobatic-looking obstacles, and it's a fun time. Santa's Little Helper, starring The Miz, with whom I'm not familiar. He does wrestle. Okay. In the film? In the film also. Oh, that's good. As he's losing his job early in the film, we get to see a couple of his signature moves as he's doing what we all would like to do to our bosses if they fire us, uh, wrestle them. So I want to mention that 
you and I randomly selected these two films. Oh, yeah. It, honest to goodness, put yes. it through a random selector thingamajig. And my film also stars a wrestler, and it's called Santa with Muscles, ah. starring Hulk Hogan, whom you referenced uh, just a minute ago. Santa with Muscles is the story of a very wealthy man who's rather selfish, played by Hulk Hogan. He sells diet, uh, supplements and he sells uh, bodybuilding equipment. And he is playing paintball one day with his with his cronies, with his uh, entourage, I guess I should say. And he's on the run from the police because he, for some reason, starts shooting paintballs at a police car. And he's on the run. He takes uh, – he finds refuge in this mall, disguises himself in a Santa suit, is then pushed down a garbage chute, and when he wakes up, he can't remember anything. And there's this guy that's looking for a mall Santa and recruits Hulk Hogan and keeps calling him Santa so much so that Hulk Hogan's character thinks that he actually is Santa. So now you have this guy that was really selfish before who wants to do good because he thinks he's Santa, right? And uh, listen to some of these character names. These are the evil villains of the film. Ebert Frost, mm. Dr. Blight, Ooh. Dr. Vile, Dr. Watt. And Dr. Flint. So it kind of gives you a bit of an idea of what those characters do in the film. And these evil characters are trying to buy out or trying to take over this orphanage so that they can access these magical crystals that lie underneath the orphanage. What I love about this orphanage is that there are only three orphans in this gigantic building, which goes to show, you know what? They could have just shut it down, justified doing it because there are only three orphans left. But to me, it shows that they really cared about these little orphans. And uh, I love the casting of this film. Not only do you have Hulk Hogan, you have Ed Begley Jr., who is in all those mockumentaries that Christopher Guest made. You've got Clint Howard, who is famous for being Ron Howard's brother and shows up in a lot of movies like this. You've got uh, Don Stark. Who, if you're not familiar with Don Stark, he was uh, one of the dads on That 70s Show. Also from That 70s Show, at, featured as a little kid in this film, Mila Kunis. There you go. What a cast this is. It's just amazing. What I love, another thing I loved about this film, you get to hear Hulk Hogan sing. In a church, no less. So if you've Definitely ever wanted to hear Hulk Hogan sing, see Santa with Muscles. Uh, another thing that I loved about this film is it brings families together. It was about halfway through this film, and my five-year-old daughter came in, and from the moment she walked in to the end of the film, she was riveted. Whenever a, a, a character was in peril, she grabbed her mouth and said, Ah! She was invested in this movie. She laughed when the bad guys you know, fell down or got hurt in some way. She really enjoyed this film. And one thing, I, one other thing I'll say about Santa with Muscles is it's a movie that knows what it is. It's not trying to be anything other than it is, which is why I'm going to go out on a limb and say, of all of the films that we've done in the Silver Lining Cinema segment, this is the best of those films. Wow. Yeah. What an endorsement. You can watch it for free on YouTube. How there about you that? We're going to keep giving you our positive reviews of films that... 
so many other people have abandoned or trashed. We want to we want to talk about the good in these films. It's the holidays after all, so we'll give you our next pick uh, for our silver lining cinema film next week on the show. But when we return, we're going to be speaking about uh, books, and we're going to be speaking with Chad Triceff, who is an author who is trying to make the world a better place, one book at a time. You know, my favorite comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he, he loves to joke about books and how he much prefers movies and how he's never read a book that changed his life. But our guest today has written a book series that is changing lives. Chad Tricef is here with us today uh, to talk about his Oracle series and how he's using his books to make the world a better place. Chad, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning. So, Chad, I, I'm really curious to know about the name C.W. Tricef. As I understand, you you co-author these books with your brother? That is correct. So my name is Chad. That's the C. Uh, the W is my brother's name. His name is Wayne. We are co-authors. We've been writing books together for about six years now. And uh, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's challenging, but we like to think that uh, two brains is uh, are better than one. I I yeah I'm dying to know how you pull that off because it, it does seem difficult to to take two different styles and and try to mesh them into one and you know how do you how do you get over any disagreements that you might have from time to time? <laughs> That's a great question. So fortunately, our styles are very similar. Uh, we're 11 years apart. But we're very, very similar the way we think, the the way we write, the the way we come up with humor. We take turns. Uh, we follow an outline. We we do a lot of phone calls and um, odd, you know, skyping, and um, we make it work. So in the beginning, it was a little bit of a challenge, um, but uh, it's actually an awesome teamwork now. And I, I don't think we could, we could do it without the other. Well, that's great. I, I just think of my experiences playing, you know, kind of telephone story with my with my daughters where I get to say one line of the story, they get to say another line of the story, and the stories never seem to blend into each other all that well. So I'm glad that you can make it work. Yeah, like you said, it's, it can be difficult and challenging. Sometimes we, 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 most of the time we agree, but every now and then we disagree and one of us just has to acquiesce to the other and just say, okay, you're right. How would it look on the big screen? Okay, let's do it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and, Chad, give us a, a, a synopsis of your Oracle series. What are these books about? So it's a seven-book series. Uh, it's a fiction adventure story about a teenager who has to travel all over the world. He has this ball. It's called the Oracle. It's, uh, it's, it's a special ball, right? It's translucent. Um, in the book, it's called a sphere or a ball of curious workmanship. The main character has to collect elements. There's six core original elements in nature, earth and fire and wind. And he has to collect, there's six of them somewhere on the planet. He has to find them. He has to collect them. He has to put them in the actual Oracle ball. And as he does that, he goes through real life geographic mysteries, uh, mysteries that are located and are real places there are substantiated theories like the Bermuda Triangle, the, the city of Atlantis, the city of gold. Um, 
you know, I, when I was a kid, I loved those kind of mysteries. So I wanted to create a fictional story to um, explain why those mysteries exist. So the main character has to collect elements. He puts them in this ball. He has to go through these real life geographic mysteries to find them. And, and it's all wrapped around a fun fictional story. And uh, you yourself have visited some of these uh, locations in real life, haven't you? Yeah. So my brother and I like to call it a well-informed imagination. So these mystery locations are real or they're substantiated theories. So we've been to some of them. So, for example, in the, and the reason why we go to them is because we want to study it, see if it's real, feel it, smell it, touch it. It, it makes for a better story and better writing. And so, for example, in the first book, we, we, we talk about the city of Atlantis, the Bermuda Triangle, this, uh, this really cool mystery that most people don't know about. It's called the Bimini Road. It's in the Bahamas. So we actually went to those locations, and we, this Bimini Road uh, is right next to a, an island in the Bahamas called Bimini, and we went there. We, we, we braved the Bermuda Triangle. We flew there. We got on a boat. We put on some scuba diving gear. We went to the bottom of the sea to study this road, to see if it was, it was real and it was there. And it is. And so it, it makes the story, we think it makes the story a little bit more real if we actually have been there. Well, Chad, you're reminding me of the fact that I've just never really been anywhere <laughs> in my life. <laughs> they, those sound well, like a lot of fun. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's expensive. Some of these places are really remote. In, in book four, um, one of the mysteries are the Northern Lights. And, and so we actually went up to northern alaska up to the north pole a couple years ago to see the northern lights in person to see if they're real to see what they look like and what it feels like to see them and uh, i had i had a grandma call me after we published book four and she said your explanation of the northern lights is the best i've ever read and i said well that's because we've been there (laughs) wow yeah so let's talk about expensive because i know you're going around the country you're putting on free assemblies to all these schools I mean, that's a huge deal for these kids. That's got to be making a difference for them, right? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. So uh, we travel to any school and any community that wants us to go present. We do fun assemblies, uh, and we do it for free. And the reason we do it for free is because, uh, obviously, we think the books are good and they're fun and they're adventurous, but we want to help advocate literacy and creativity. So um, we do these fun presentations and assemblies for schools, uh, any school that wants us to go just needs to go to our website. It's oracleseries.com, and they can request us to go. And uh, we'll do it for free. We'll show up for free. We pay um, the, the company that my brother and I created will pay for it. You know, we hope to sell enough books to cover it. Um, but if it doesn't, that's okay. Uh, we just want to help. Um, we want to help children. That's awesome, Chad. Hey, you mentioned you've got kids. I I I, uh, I understand you're an accountant. You write all these books. How do you balance all of these things? Yeah, so I'm a father. I have five children, uh, which is another reason why we wanted to make the books educational. And there are themes and stories and, and morals in all the books that help readers become better people, which is really important to us. Um, I, I do have another career. Um, I actually, I graduated from BYU. I did their accounting program. So I, I've been in corporate America for, you know, 20 years. And that actually helps pay for some of the, the costs for the books. Um, so, you know, how do you balance stuff like this? You, you end up finding time to do the stuff that you love. And I love being an author. I love seeing kids excited about reading. And um, I love the potential for the, the book series. Just before we turn things over to Cole here in a second, I'm I'm curious to know what advice you could give to other creative people out there 
who, let's say they have this vision of a book they want to write or a painting they want to put down on a canvas, what what advice could you give them to make that initial step to get that out of their minds and onto a paper or onto a canvas? Well, first and foremost, you need education, right? So going to school, getting good grades, uh, going to college or university is, is, is needed. No matter how creative you are, I, I'm a big proponent for education. But education only gets you so far. Like it might earn you some money, but it doesn't necessarily um, give you success. And so success comes little by little with something that you accomplish. So, so my, my advice would be get educated, but then just do it, right? You, you got to put in the work. Uh, you got to be determined. And every little step, every little success that you have just feeds that fire and just to keep going. I, I know you hear that a lot in the creative world is don't, just don't give up. Um, but there's some truth to that. Be, um, I mean, you, you have to have a foundation, but then you just have to really work really hard to get it done. And, and, and it's possible. I, I, would, I would probably say you can do it, right? You, uh, whatever your create, creative desire is, you can do it. Words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Chad. Now we're going to get into the fun part of today's program, hey, right? I was having fun. <laughs> Come on. Chad, you're a YA author, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there have been a couple movies make their way from that genre onto the big screen. And so today, instead of doing necessarily a trivia game that I normally get to do with the guests, uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. Have you and Jeff compile a couple lists for me of maybe your favorite, most faithful, uh, least favorite kind of books adapted into movies because for every harry potter and hunger games there's aragon and percy jackson so but let's start with the positive what is your favorite movie adapted from a book oh you're really putting me on the spot there like you said since 2001 there's been so many i mean harry potter kind of broke the chains of the uh, and maybe not even that there's probably been a lot more that we're just not aware of but but i would probably say of all the really cool books I mean, obviously, Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite. Um, the Harry Potter books were fantastic. Um, I, the, the movies always tend to be worse than the books, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I think I, I think there's been some really, really good ones in recent years. Lord of the Rings is always kind of my favorite. I, I'm I'm really into the whole sometimes more difficult um, storylines and complex characters. And uh, Lord of the Rings has got to be one of my favorites. Wow. That is, I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. One I'm going to share is, and Cole sparked this. I, I wasn't going to mention this until he said it. I'm a huge fan of Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. And I am likely in the minority, and I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, risk having my neck ringed by the rabid fans of this series. I, As much as I enjoy the books, and I do... I feel like they can get a little repetitive, and I by the thirteenth book, it was I, I felt that I was really stretching to get through it. However, I really enjoy the movie that Jim Carrey starred in, and uh, I know I, I might be in the minority on that too. I like it more than the Netflix series that is out right now, and. I as much as as difficult it was for me to get through all those books, I think that this is a movie that gets better every time I see it. I think Jim Carrey is the perfect Count Olaf because he is the 
the epitome of the overactor, and I just love how it was made stylistically. So that's going to be a pick that I'm going to share. Lemony Snickets. It's a bold choice, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Another one that I just thought of quickly is the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yeah. The, the move they did a great job with those movies, uh, especially the music and uh, the score that they put together for that. And so that's another one that's that's up there on my list of adaptations to movies. I share that opinion, Chad. I think Chronicles of Narnia managed to capture in a movie form the fantastical world that we can dive into in YA better sometimes than Harry Potter even did. It just seemed more ethereal and and what fantasy really was when I was reading it growing up. Right. Yep. You know, another one that I think everybody should read slash watch is one that uh, probably more people read than they saw the movie, which is really unfortunate. Uh, It's a book called Flipped, and I can't tell you who the author is offhand, but it's basically about this, this boy and this girl in junior high, and it keeps going back and forth between the two perspectives, and the girl likes the boy... But the boy doesn't like the girl, and somewhere along the line, things kind of flip, and now the girl doesn't like the guy as much, but the guy is starting to like the girl. Really cute story, and it was uh, translated very well into a film that was directed by Rob Reiner. And again, one that, that hardly anybody saw, so that is definitely one that, that I would recommend. It's it's a really a feel-good story that... Uh, Talks a lot about being kind and the importance of kindness, so one that I would recommend. Flipped. There we go. My next question is, fans of books, often one of their favorite pastimes is to point out the flaws when the movie comes out. Either the character doesn't have the right color hair, um, or famously Harry Potter didn't even have the right color eyes. Are there any nitpicks from books that you loved that you don't think translated well onto the screen? Well, it's funny you bring up Harry Potter. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, Harry Potter was fantastic. I loved the books. Um, I didn't like the movies as much as I liked the books. Um, so that would be an obvious one for me, mostly because, you know, when you read a book, you, this is what's great about literature, right? You have it in your mind, what the characters look like, uh, what they act like, their mannerisms. Sometimes you even see yourself in some of the characters. And then sometimes, and this is just 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 happens. Sometimes the movie disappoints you because it's not what you were thinking in your mind, and and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of viewers uh, don't like the movies as much is because it wasn't what they were expecting, and you know disappointment comes from unmet expectations, and so that definitely happened for me in the Harry Potter series. I I have a huge imagination, so when I was watching it, I had all these awesome scenes and and uh, designs in my own head, and then I think the movies let me down a little bit. But they were still good, and I still watched them all, and I'm still a huge fan, and I'm still a supporter of, of, of Harry Potter. Isn't that one of the toughest things to do, to take somebody else's vision and try to be, you know, try to honor that, but to put your own flair into it as well? I I was a big fan of the first two Hunger Games books. Not so much the third one. The third one, I, I think I renewed it from the library about five times before I finally finished it. But... Uh, I only saw the first Hunger Games movie, and I wasn't a huge fan because I felt like there was so much content 
that they had to get through, and they wanted to try to be faithful to the book, so they tried to get through all of it. I felt like I was watching a two-and-a-half-hour trailer for a movie because every scene was about 10 seconds long. So, uh, yeah, I wish there was a better way to adapt that one into a movie. And again, I'm obviously in the minority because it made hundreds of millions of dollars. Even the last Harry Potter movie, they just had so much that they needed to chuck in there for the fans that sometimes you lost the cohesiveness of the the good plot that was there in the book because we needed these moments that fans could stand up and cheer during. (laughs) Well, Chad, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. And thank you for what you're doing. We We really try to highlight on the show People like you that are going around making a difference in entertainment and uh, not just in entertainment, but in education as well. So thank you and keep up the good work. No, I appreciate you having me on, Jeff and Cole. Uh, It was my pleasure. Um, If anyone's interested in the series, it's oracleseries.com. You can request uh, for us to come visit. And, you know, one of our goals is to, to eventually do movies. So maybe in five or ten years, we'll have this conversation again and we'll be talking about how bad the Oracle movies are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, like you said, we'll be talking again here soon. His name is Chad Tricef, and you can look up his books on tricef.com. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. our happy music that means we're going over to two of our friends at BYU Sports Nation who make us particularly happy and today we've got Spencer and Jason are you guys happy today of course fantastic Absolutely. and I know Duh. I know your happiness stems Spencer from the fact that you did in fact fulfill your promise to watch Santa with muscles yes Oh, yes. No, I don't believe you. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I remembered that conversation <laughs> and totally put it in my planner and, and yeah. Oh, that's your problem. I Nobody failed. uses planners anymore. Is that, you, the, you... is that the planner I saw in the trash earlier? I failed, Jeff. Ah. You, well, you missed a great movie. We Tell gave me our, about it. We gave our positive review of it. When else are you going to see Hulk Hogan sing in a church, no less? What? Oh, boy. That's why it got such great ratings. And it had a great cast. Mila Kunis, when she was a little girl, was yeah, in it. Yeah, that shocked us when mm-hmm. we looked at the... Because after we got off the air with you that day, we actually looked up on IMDb like like a little more about it. And we're like, Mila Kunis was in this? <laughs> and Don Stark, who was also on that 70s show with her. Was he the dad? Uh, not the main dad, but he was the one with like the curly fro that was oh, kind of short and stout. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I'm. That makes me happy that you at least looked it up on IMDb. Yeah, we did. Yeah, See, we take, these, we take these conversations very seriously. I, I guarantee you, if you put it on for your kids, your kids will enjoy it. Because <laughs> my kid enjoyed it. She walked in halfway through and was captivated. How old is the said child? Uh, five. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. So Cole wanted to know if you guys have seen any other films not starring The Rock, but any other wrestlers you've seen in film. Andre the Giant. Yeah, yeah. Princess Bride. Like, that's probably the Are biggest you kidding one. kidding me? That is probably the best movie featuring a wrestler. Anybody want a peanut? Hey, no more rhymes now. I mean it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great example. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of others. There was the movie. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what other wrestlers were well, in movies. John Cena, dude. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's in. Uh, he was in. Uh, he's let's in the, see. the Daddy's, Daddy's Home. Home. Uh, both of them. The Rock. No, we said besides the rock. We said besides the rock. Oh, okay, that was because that one, like, it was you could go down every movie that's out. Yeah, and he's not even he's not even going as the rock anymore. He's now Dwayne Johnson. It's true. It's true. When you put that stipulation out there, it just kind of ruins everything. Was Rowdy Roddy Piper in any movies? Yes, and Cole mentioned it. Was in an episode of uh, the Rob Deerdeck show. I remember that. I do remember that. Yes, (laughs) he was. He was also in a horror film, a John Carpenter horror film called They Live, which Cole mentioned earlier in the program. But, uh, okay, so here's the invitation then. Next week, uh, we're going to be doing another Silver Lining Cinema segment where we take movies that people have abandoned or given up on or just refused to watch, and we give them a positive review. So I'm going to be watching The Nutcracker in 3D, but actually I'll be watching it in 2D. Uh, And it stars John Turturro and Nathan Lane. And, you know, so many of the critics just trashed it. I'm going to find the good in the film. So you're you're... Gonna, you're gonna find that silver lining. Yes, in all of the negative reviews. Thank you for the plug and the reinforcement of the segment title. Hey, I just I just googled wrestlers in movies, finding some gems here. How Jeff. did we not think of Hulk Hogan <laughs> as Thunderlips in Rocky Three? Cole Tyler, mentioned Tyler that Maine too. Is uh, in X Men, the original X Men, with Sabretooth as Sabretooth. Wait, who was that? Who? His name is Tyler Maine. Tyler Maine. Yes. What's his stage name? I have no idea. Hmm. Sergeant Slaughter was a voice in G.I. Joe the movie. Ooh. The cart, the animated one. Wow. Yeah. You are yeah. mentioning some gems here. Oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin <sighs> in the movie Damage. He was also in one of the, um, uh, what's the one that has like Sylvester Stallone and like all of the action stars? Expendables. Expendables. He was in one of the Expendables. Gotcha. Okay. Kevin Nash was in a movie that I really don't want to discuss. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It, it deals with Channing Tatum dancing. <laughs> okay, here's here's another here's a, along. here's another wrestler uh, in a movie, and I'll see if you can guess the movie from the movie line. Okay, you're going nowhere. I've got you for three minutes of plate time. Oh, Spider Man. Spider Man. You're right. Spider Man. Yeah, the original, the original one with Tobey Maguire. Oh yeah, like the first one. Man, you guys know your wrestlers in movies. Jesse Ventura in The Running Man. That's right. With That's Arnold right. Schwarzenegger. Also The Predator. Yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Wow. Man, yeah. I, I thought I knew my wrestlers in movies, but you guys know them Bad. even better. Oh, The Big Show and The Water Boy as uh, Captain Insano. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, the, you guys just keep rattling <laughs> off with them. I, I think this should bleed over into your show coming up here in just a minute. I love that. <laughs> I'd forgot all about Captain Insano. Yes. Hey, it's a uh, it's a winning Friday. BYU women's volleyball starts their Sweet 16 match in like five minutes. We're gonna have oh, live really? updates. It's starting. Uh, it's starting just a few minutes. Yeah, let's yep. go. Ooh. We, we are uh, in, I guess, unison with okay. BYU women's volleyball. Also, we're asking for an expectations overhaul for BYU basketball fans. Nine games into the season, why not? Why not tell us where you think the Cougars will be in March? Well, that sounds like a fantastic show. And again, for next week, the Nutcracker in 3D, but actually in 2D. Got it? Uh, Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. All right, Spencer and Jason, have fun at the volleyball game. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Wow. They really know their wrestlers.
And I was starting to think of more as we – I didn't think it was going to take up the whole inter, or, you know conversation with them, but there you have it. It's sports yeah. and entertainment, the perfect meld of our two interests. And it's crazy just how many movies Hulk Hogan has appeared in. Oh, yeah. And John Cena, as a matter of fact, the Psych movie aired mm-hmm. last night on USA <gasps> Network. Really? And John Cena made an appearance in that as well. Wow. He was also in Daddy's Home too. Still in theaters. We, <laughs> I would appreciate it if you didn't mention that fact, actually. Go see Coco instead. Yeah. That's the film to see. There you go. Anyway, really quickly, we're going to give you our panning for good segment here. There's good in them dire hills. Obviously, we talk a lot about movies, and around the holidays, we encourage people to watch certain holiday films, whether it's in the movie theater or at home with your families. But uh, I would also encourage you to seek out a local community theater. And I'm not, I want to I want to specify this. I'm not being paid to mention this theater specifically, but I love the Hale Center Theater, which is local to Utah. And there are several of them uh, around the country, too. There's one in, in California. There's one in Arizona. They do such a great job of finding quality talent, putting on a quality production, family-friendly, all of them. And it's a theater in the round, so it's a very intimate setting. Right now, you can go see A Christmas Carol, which I've never actually seen at the Hale Center Theater, so I've got to do that. Uh, that is uh, going to do it for the show here today. But again, seek out those opportunities to find other forms of holiday entertainment. You won't regret it, and it'll make your holidays just a little brighter. We'll be back next week. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show.